When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. To a landmark decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. Race can no longer be a factor in college admissions. The country's highest court striking down affirmative action in college applications, forcing post-secondary institutions to find new ways to achieve diverse student populations. President Joe Biden responding to the Supreme Court's decision in Washington. The court has effectively ended affirmative action in college admissions. And I strongly, strongly disagree with the court's decision. Who cares? Let's bring in Bernie Coase, our former Cleveland Browns quarterback. Bernie, thank you so much for joining us. You know, whether you call it CTE, when we, we're dead or have passed, or TBI, traumatic brain injury, now we're alive. It's incredibly tragic, not only what's happening with ex-NFL players, but what's happening with youth and, and younger people, and not just in, in, the, in the sport of football. No, I'm on fire today. Look at this shit, well, one of those days. You have those days sometimes. No, you do. <laughs> Good thing we're not playing for money. You don't want your house by now. Look at these guys. Who's winning? Oh, uh, you know who's winning. Mikey, how are you? Good to see you. Mikey, how are you, buddy? Hey, Good to see you, too. I'm doing good. I mean, the heat is hot. I'm going to eat up really, really good. By the way, Ronaldo's out there. must have told you. Friday morning, Friday. I know what you do. You work all week and go to the disco on Friday night, spend all your money, Tony. That ain't no future after future. No, Tony, the future F's you. How deep is your love? The Bee Gees at 606 on your pre-July 4th Friday show, the last sit and friend show till Wednesday. We're going to take off Monday and Tuesday. And uh, with no remorse, zero apology, quite frankly, me and my team, we deserve it. Getting huge ratings, bigger than any other morning show, in, in maybe in the history of the station, certainly 25 or 30 years. And we're tired. We've got a lot going on here. So one of the reasons why I played that song was, of course, 
That movie was, I believe, 1977. And the last cut you heard in the open put together this morning and every morning by Justin Ellick is a piece from the television show I Do Gravesend. Now, yesterday, late in the show, really the 9 o'clock hour was all Gravesend. Bo Deedle, he was in Gravesend. He was live in studio. But then William DeMeo, the writer, creator, and director, he was in studio. His son, Christian, he's in Gravesend. Peter Gordio, my dear friend, plays Rocco. He was in Gravesend. And coming up this morning at 9.25, the very talented actor Chris Mormondo. He plays Gaetano. He'll be in studio. But last night, I had the opportunity to see President Trump, Carrie Lake, and a host of others in Bedminster, New Jersey. And as I've talked about all week long, for the second time in three weeks, I had to turn it down. And not because I don't want to go there. I really do want to go there and see the president. Thanks to Sergio Gore, I was invited. But... This is a big deal. I started taping Gravesend all the way back in April of 2021, shooting my very first scenes with Andrew Dice Clay in Sunny Isles, Miami Beach. And between COVID and just getting this thing, find a home, really, and it'll be back again on Amazon Prime for a second consecutive season. It's taken a while to get going, but it's here, and it'll start airing on Amazon Prime Maybe tonight, but the latest this Monday, July the 3rd. So it's uh, it's an exciting time, and I couldn't make it there last night because at the Floral Terrace, not far from my home, there was the red carpet premiere event, and it was great. I mean, just picture this, folks. You got a movie theater on the second or third floor of this building. A couple of hundred people are watching the first two episodes of Nine. So let me give you the rundown, basically, of who's there. To my left is my dear friend, the great Bo Deedle, sitting right in front of me, Willie DeMeo, Christian DeMeo, and Chuck Zito. To my right, you had Armand DeSante, Peter Gordio, and Marty Cove, of course, from The Karate Kid. Right behind me, you had Andrew Dice Clay, Chaz Palminteri, John Forsyth, also Vinny Pistori, Joe D'Onofrio, Fat Tommy, Leo Rossi, Chris Romando, heck, even Daryl Strawberry was on the red carpet, showed up last night. So in this uh, TV show, when your character pops up for the first time, they still it. They stop the, the, the uh, movie and they type something on the screen that introduces the character. Well, season two of Gravesend, the very first time they do that, it's me in an old rundown Miami hotel playing the part of Dave Busco. But here's the best part. You got about 200 people in this movie theater last night, including all those huge names I just mentioned, huge names. And every time your face pops up and they still the screen, they start yelling and screaming. They start applauding. So without giving too much away, there's one scene that I do with Andrew Dice Clay. He's brilliant, brilliant, on a tennis court in Boca. And it is rip-roaring. To the point when, when the two episodes were over, took about two hours. You had guys like Armand DeSante, Chance Palminteri make a beeline to me to tell me, and I'm quoting them, wow, you could really act. I go, come on. Chance, Sid, I'm not going to lie to you. You were great. Armand DeSante, you were great. My wife, Danielle, who's a very harsh critic, 
She thought I was just okay at best in the movie Gemini Lounge coming out August 14th. My son, the same. They were like, wow, what a difference. You were great. So now I'm all excited for this thing to hit the airwaves so you guys can see it. Season two of Gravesend, it's an unbelievable ride. My friends Mike and Donna Sullivan, they showed up last night. Now, Mike, you have to understand, he worked on The Sopranos for years. Mike was so close to the guys, he'd be the guy driving Tony Sirico, a.k.a. Paulie Walnuts, to the doctor for 20 years. Jimmy Gandolfini, now he does that type of stuff for Stephen Van Zandt. He was, he's a real Sopranos guy. Hard to impress Mike Sullivan. He was impressed. So uh, I will give you the details when I know them. But that's where I was last night. I did not make it to Bedminster, New Jersey. I did not go with John and Margot Katsimatidis, although it looked great, to the Diana Ross concert. I was in Floral Terrace enjoying Gravesend Season 2. But a lot of news went on as I was enjoying my little Hollywood career. Excuse me. You know, every damn day, the first two segments, Lewis... I've got throat and uh, voice issues. Where's Only water? two segments. Where's water? Right here. In that it's weird. Mug? It only lasts about one second, but it comes up once or twice, the first two segments, every morning. Since I've been sick, you know. Well, it's a good thing you're not talking for a living. I know. <laughs> yeah. So the big news yesterday was the Supreme Court, in a move I can't applaud enough, has decided that affirmative action when it comes to college admission is not right. As Donald Trump always talks about, let's have a merit-based society, whether it's college admissions, whether it's migrants entering the country, no matter what it is, don't reward somebody because they're black or white or Asian, but specifically black because when we do that, or we don't do that, I should say, that's when everybody goes nuts like Al Sharpton. So the uh, Supreme Court decided after lawsuits Harvard and North Carolina that the affirmative action for college entry is over. And again, merit-based, I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm not the only one. I know that uh, you printed out what Trump, what is your name, uh, Alec, wrote here in his, you can find this on his uh, Truth Social on his social media, here's what Donald Trump wrote after SCOTUS once again reversed affirmative action entry for colleges. This is a great day for America. People with extraordinary ability and everything else necessary for success, including future greatness for our country, are finally being rewarded. This is the ruling everyone was waiting and hoping for, and the result was amazing. It will also keep us competitive with the rest of the world. Our greatest minds must be cherished, and that's what this wonderful day has brought. We're going to bring back all merit-based, and that's the way it should be. And he's right. Enough of this nonsense. Enough of pandering and placating to race and gender and sexual preference. My God, it's effing nauseating. Even his backstabbing VP Mike Pence agreed yesterday. Uh, Lewis, this is uh, on the SCOTUS decision on affirmative action to overturn it when it comes to college admissions. This is Donald Trump's former VP Mike Pence. He's on the same page as me and Trump. This, Lewis, is cut number 12. 
I'm grateful to see the conservative majority that we helped build on the Supreme Court of the United States uh, bring an end uh, to uh, most of affirmative action. Uh, look, we, we want to live in a colorblind society. And I will tell you, there may have been a time 50 years ago when we needed to affirmatively take steps uh, to correct long-term um, racial bias in institutions of higher education. But I, I can tell you, as the uh, father of three college graduates, um, those days are long over. Uh, and I, I'm grateful today that the Supreme Court took us one step back uh, to that America that, that will judge every man and woman uh, on the content of their character and on their own achievement and, and leave race out of the consideration of admissions to higher education. Well said, Mike Pence. But, of course, the president, that idiot, he feels completely different about this. Joe Biden, Lewis, Joe Biden, cut number one. You know, I know today's court decision is a severe disappointment to so many people, including me. me. But we cannot let the decision be a permanent setback for the country. And, of course, the biggest racist, well, he's not the biggest, Joy Reid may have him beat, but one of the biggest racists on television and just amongst us every day, Al Sharpton, he's upset. And you know if Al Sharpton is upset, it's probably good news. This is Al Sharpton, Lewis, cut number eight. What they have said is that it is unconstitutional to even consider race. And I think it is unimaginable not to consider race, given the history of this country and given the data that we still see in this country. Blacks are still 10 percent less in terms of uh, family wealth than whites. We are still uh, less in education. So either you're saying we're genetically uh, inferior. No, we didn't say that. Or you said that, that. Uh, there's yeah. something that yeah. is unequal in society. Well, there is. Well, that that is is well, Dad stayed home law. once My in a while, you moron. God, shut well, up. God, you're so stupid. He's not it, making it, any sense. I mean, he's a moron. He's a racist moron. I don't care how many white witch people, including you, Sean Hannity, like Al Sharpton, he's a racist moron. Holy crap. It's the complete reverse of what of he's course, saying. Of course. The complete opposite. That's They're taking it away so yeah. that you're not basing your thing on your genetic... Uh, what an idiot. I God, know. what an idiot. So, oh, uh, Frank Morano, who's the host of The Other Side of Midnight, and he's a great host, and I love his show. He gets big ratings. Big, big ratings. There's really only uh, about three or four people at this station who get big ratings. You know who they are. Frank is one of them. So I guess uh, last week he was discussing the host here at the station, and he was using one adjective to describe each host. I have no idea what adjective he used to describe me. I really don't. But I guess at one point he used the adjective bizarre to describe Greg Kelly. And uh, look, I'm not feuding with Greg anymore. I don't care. I don't care. God bless him, his wife, his family. I only wish them the best. You know how I feel about him in terms of talent, Ugh. in terms of even just a guy to work with. Ugh. But I wish him the best. But I didn't go after Greg Kelly and have him for weeks. But some lady, I guess, called Frank Morano last night and uh Asked him why she used the word bizarre to describe Greg Kelly. And um, I heard this this morning, and I have to tell you that I've maintained an erection 
since hearing this for about 45 minutes. Okay, now wait, maybe we should delay playing it then if, 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 it gave, if that was the it's result. It's so good. You're, okay. you're, you're going to feel the same way. Oh, really? Yeah, because all of you well, guys, well, you know, you've admitted it to management, which I give you guys a lot of credit. Uh, now we've admitted it on the air, too. No one likes to work with the guy. Nobody. Uh, whatever. It's fine. Um, <laughs> just wow. leave it alone, damn it. I can't, I can't wait for the result yeah. from me now. Yeah. I thought you said enough on the uh, on the issue there. Well, this is a two-part series. Right. But I'm going to play part one right now. <laughs> right? I got 19 guests. I got so much to discuss, but I have to play this. This is, this is so, so good. arousing. <laughs> it's so good. And I have nothing to do with this. Don't even blame me. Don't get mad at me. This is Frank Morano. From his show last night, Other Side of Midnight, who really breaks it down, I mean, really well. This is Cut Lewis, cut number 19. Betsy is in New Jersey. Hello, Betsy. Hi. Um, I'm wondering if you could expand on why you described Greg Kelly as bizarre. Did I? When did I do that? I'm sure when I did. You were asked I don't to remember. describe each host with an adjective. Oh, um, why did I? You know, it's a good question. So, uh, Greg, I don't know very well at all. I know his father a little bit, and he's uh, a, a great guy, the father, and somebody that I really admire. And for people listening out around the country, his dad was the greatest police commissioner I think New York has ever had, and certainly the longest serving. As far as Greg. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to say anything negative about him because what? I know he has his fans. Yeah, to, um, <laughs> the best I could say is the way he interacts with people is very bizarre. You know, I've heard the way he's dressed down certain staff members, and really, it's not the way that people should talk to one another. And I've I've also heard kind of um, how he responded to another radio personality, Sid Rosenberg, when Sid was going on and on about his wife. Now. Sid does about a 7.6 in the ratings, and I think uh, Greg does like a 2.6. So now, if I was in Greg's position, I would be saying, what can I do to be more like Sid? And yet, Greg went on Sid's show and whined that Sid was talking too much about his wife. And to me, that struck me as such a bizarre way to behave. Yeah, that's only part one. Oh, my God. Part two is, is, I'm telling you, you don't need any moisturizer, no. any tequila. Tequila? Oh, it is on. It's a party. Wow. So yeah. It's so. big, bo- <laughs> big boogie nights. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Frank Morano. I'm a star. <laughs> As Mike Breen would say from downtown. <laughs> so we wanted to make sure we brought a great show for you today because, again, we're taking a mini vacation. We're going to come back Wednesday, July 5th. We got a monster load of guests, 645 just lost a DA race in Queens to Melinda Katz, but I really like this guy, Judge George Grasso, coming up at 7.05 like he does every weekday, the man Curtis Sliwa. Making a return to this show, he's playing golf with the president today, and the president will be on his show on Sunday, Andrew Giuliani, coming up at 7.40, famed defense attorney, Arthur Idala. 8.05, my guy Norman Seabrook, 8.25, ABC and Fox News host, Brian Kilmeade coming up at 8.40. Former Miami Hurricane great Cleveland Brown and Miami Dolphin great quarterback Bernie Kosar. 9.05, Michael Goodwin, New York Post. 9.25, talented actor from Gravesend. He plays Gaetano, my friend Chris Marmondo. And finally, at 9.45, the attorney for Daniel Penny, who was back in court two days ago, my dear friend Thomas Kniff. It's a monster Friday morning lineup on your favorite talk show in New York City. That's me, 
Sid Rosenberg, exclusively right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. WABC. Oy. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Friends, and now, Sid and Friends in the Morning presents Great Moments in Adam's History. Achievements of people with the last name Adams. Like Brian Adams. In April 2006, he was inducted into the Music Hall of Fame. Like Amy Adams. In 2017, Adams received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Like Ansel Adams. His main accomplishment was the development of the zone system of developing. And he even won the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And finally, New York City Mayor Eric Adams. One of my best gifts, as you know, marijuana is legal. I have raw. I did not know. I have raw. I am not aware, Mr. Mayor. I'm not into that scene. I have bamboo. Whoa. You know? big. And I can't give you this gift. I'll give it to you later. You know? Mentioned in that great bit by Chris Libertini and Chris Bobona and Dan Herschel, intern Carly, all of them doing a great job. Chris Libertini specifically. Brian Adams cuts like a knife. But covered a lot in that first segment. Thank God we got the Morano Greg Kelly stuff in. <laughs> but the affirmative action stuff and the amazing night I enjoyed last night. But throughout the day yesterday, I had many conversations. Joseph Takapina in England, Bo Deedle. And others, folks that have given money, not just said nice things like I've done, not just befriended like I've done, but given money to make sure that Eric Adams became the mayor of New York City. 
even being friendly with Curtis, they still did that. And everybody's pissed. I mean, maybe not Frank and Anthony, but although I think uh, in Anthony's heart of hearts, he probably is. But everybody's pissed. I told you guys over the last couple of weeks that Eric Adams has not returned my text, including a very nice Happy Father's Day text last Sunday. Now, I act as if I care. I don't. If I never hear from Eric again, I really couldn't care less. But to be honest, I just don't get it. You know, I'm on the air every day talking to a a hostile audience when it comes to Adams. The overwhelming majority of you hate his guts. Overwhelming. I mean, I've even read stupid people like, I'm not listening anymore. And, you know, the old, if Bernie was alive, nonsense. Then if Bernie was alive, nothing would be different. Nothing, but that's fine. But I do all that knowing all this. And um, Eric continues to do stuff that I abhor. Don't dislike, abhor. And this story about this old lady, who all she did was complain about rent hikes, rent hikes at a meeting with Mayor Eric Adams. And when he told her to stand up, because she was interrupting, he said, and I quote, I'm the mayor of this city and treat me with the respect that would deserve to be treated. He goes on to say, don't stand in front like you treated someone that's on the plantation that you own. i got to ask you, folks. Now, you've heard me do this. You know, Curtis likes to break my balls, softball questions, nonsense. I have actually gone at Eric Adams on this show. I'll tell you when it was. It was right after Governor Abbott in Texas sent us all those migrants, and Eric Adams made it a race case. He's a racist. You know, I let the other stuff go when he called people crackers years and years ago in the force. Or when he called out white journalists. But I have to tell you, you do it once, all right. You do it twice, whoa. You start doing this every couple of weeks, and and it becomes disgusting. And while Eric Adams is quick to call everybody else a racist. I told Eric on his, to his face on the air, people who call everybody else a racist, we come to find out usually that they are the racist. I'm not saying that's the case yet, but I got to tell you, I have too many examples, too many examples, and it's ugly. This lady, this 84-year-old lady, you want to know how far off Eric Adams was? A plantation owner, a slave trader. This lady is a Holocaust survivor. A Holocaust survivor. Play it, though, Lewis. Go ahead. Okay, first, if you're going to ask a question, don't point at me and don't be disrespectful to me. I'm the mayor of this city. So what? And treat me with the respect I I deserve to be treated. I'm speaking to you as an adult. Don't stand in front like you treated someone that's on the plantation idiots. that you plantation, own. Right. Give me the respect I deserve and engage in a conversation. Up, plantation up that, quiet! God. Plantation that you own. Everything comes back to race. God forbid you disagree with the mayor and you're a racist. And I don't know how anybody is okay with that. I don't. I don't. I don't need to be friends with the mayor to be number one in this city. In fact, I'll be honest with you, and I know my bosses are listening, if I stop being friends with the mayor, I think it'll help my ratings because my audience hates him. 
But I don't care because I love this city. I love New York City. And my intentions from day one, while I admit everything I do for the show does go back to ratings and success, there's no question about that. And if my other colleagues here did the same thing, they would get better ratings. But besides that, I really wanted to help. I really thought uh, a Republican ear, not conservative, because I am pro-choice, I'm pro-gay marriage, all that stuff. I'm not Rush Limbaugh. Don't want to be. God rest his soul. But a Republican voice in Eric Adams' ear, I thought would help. And I dined with him many times, and he was sweet to my son. Eric Adams is dyslexic. My beautiful son, Gabriel, is dyspraxic. He was very nice to Danielle. Met her a bunch of times. Couldn't have been more charming. The dinners, the lunches, terrific. But that's not his true colors. This goes above Curtis Sleeble. Look, I love Curtis. I got Curtis on this show five days a week. You know why? Because he's great. But don't be stupid. A lot of the fire that he delivers towards Adams is because he's butthurt because Adams kicked his ass. Bottom line, I understand that. I get it. Same thing with Greg Kelly. He's mad about his father. Even Rudy. But Curtis has been saying stuff like this all along, and it turns out he's right. This guy's no good. I'm sorry, Eric. No good. Not every white person that disagrees with you is a racist. That is disgusting. Disgusting. So at some point, Fabian Levy, maybe Frank Carone, he's a friend of mine. I like Frank. I don't care what Curtis says. I like Frank and Anthony. Maybe these guys need to sit down with Eric Adams and say, hey, Eric, figure out a better way to make your case or or argue with somebody without calling everybody a racist. Because I'll say it again. The people who are quick to call everybody else a racist, nine times out of ten, it turns out they are the racist. Joe Nolan, Judge George Grasso, coming up next. Right now it's time for the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day. Everything you need to know in under 10 New York minutes. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and get the max out of mini. Listen any time on the 77 WABC app. Today's minicast is from the Rita Cosby Show. Here Rita talks about Hunter Biden. We also know that Chairman Coleman was telling us that it looks like also Devin Archer will be testifying sometime coming up in the next few weeks. That is going to be a biggie. He, of course, is on the Burisma board with, of course, Hunter Biden. And if you look at all the dots and the evidence that he could have, he's had a history, of course, of criminal charges himself. But he's certainly an interesting person because he could know where all the bodies are buried. He could know where all the details are. The digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call 1-800-862-6970 and also receive a $1,000 credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to digitaldollarreport.com. Please note, the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC.
So one of the folks I was rooting for last Tuesday, he was on this show once before, and his posters were all over Rockaway and Bell Harbor. My buddy Eric Jameson's so all over the windows was George Grasso, and he was running against Curtis's ex-wife, Melinda Katz in Queens for uh, DA. And uh, Melinda won. But the day after the race was over, I got this email from a lady who works, Natalie, for Grasso. It was his post-primary statement. He congratulated Melinda Katz, but he said this primary raised serious concerns about the democratic process. The incumbent refused to be involved in even one public debate. She routinely avoided crucial forums. She spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in conjunction with the Queen's machine. He went on to talk about other machine politics. And he said, the good news is I remain in this race. Well, what does that mean? He got beat pretty soundly just a couple of days ago. We're going to find out right now. Here he is, just ran for DA in Queens, my friend, Judge George Grasso. Good Friday morning, Judge. How are you? Good morning, Sid. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Nice to have you back. So disappointed. I wanted you to win, obviously, on Tuesday. But it is what it is. Tough to beat a Democrat uh, in any one of these boroughs in any race. But you said, and I quote in your post statement, which was very nice, but also very critical of Queens and the voting process. You said, quote, the good news is I remain in this race. What does that mean? Well, absolutely. And this is perfectly consistent with what I laid out to you in the last conversation that we had. I'm not naive. I'm new to the political process, but I'm not naive. I knew what I was going up against. Well, hold on, hold on. You say you're not naive. You know what you're going against. Before you finish your point, and a lot of people, including Curtis Sliwa, who I respect uh, greatly, who said, you know, George Grasso would have been much better served and given himself a much better chance as if he ran as a Republican. What are your thoughts on that? Well, here's the thing. From the beginning... I create, I have a public safety line. I put a lot of resources. Not only did I put a lot of resources in creating a Democrat line, which I ran on, and by the way, got, when it's all said and done, I think I'll end up with about 10,000 votes from registered Democrats in Queens on my Democrat line. I also created a public safety line. I got over 10,000 good signatures from registered voters all over Queens, Democrats, Republicans, independents, conservatives, everybody, as long as you're a registered voter. So I'm on the ballot in the fall, regardless of the primary. That's what I mean when I said I'm not naive. I was being criticized. Well, why, why are you talking to Republicans? Why are you going to Republican clubs? We discussed that the last time. And I said because, and I believe then, I believe now, I'll always believe, public safety is not an ideological issue. My views are not based upon what we call a secret Democrat handshake, you know, that, oh, this is the way Democrats have to discuss public safety, even though I have been a registered Democrat for over 40 years. It's based on over 40 years of experience in the criminal justice system. So I am not surprised at all that Melinda Katz came out ahead in the Democratic primary. I'm not surprised that she ducked every debate. I'm not surprised that she ducked every in-person forum. Because the last thing she wants and the machine wants is to be confronted directly by someone like me who understands the process. So we're full steam ahead. The plan remains what it always was. We keep the Democrat votes. 
and build on them in the general election. But now we we have a process where Republicans and independents can vote for me as well in the fall. I got you. I got you. I'm always, yeah, but I'm, I'm always, but what I find interesting is, Judge, is that you remain a Democrat. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I mean, you sound more like a Republican. And I've got the same issue with my dear friend Dove Hyken. Dove is on yeah. this show. Every time there's an issue with the Jews, Dove comes on. He kills the mayor, Democrat. Right. He kills the right. governor, Democrat. He kills Biden, Democrat. So I understand Dove has been a Jewish Democrat most of his life. But why right. do people like Dove Hyken and you, George Grasso, continue to call yourself Democrats when the truth is you're really not? Yeah, well, it depends on the issue. I understand. First of all, there are a lot of there are a lot of regular rank and file Democrats who agree with me on what I say in my views of the criminal justice process and the and, and how disastrous the so-called bail reform has been and the discovery reform and things like less is more and it's this stuff is making no sense. So you know I'm not going to let the party machine and the party the the, the hierarchy. You know, defined for me how I consider myself. Yeah, but myself. why can't you? Like, for on, example, on look, national, look, 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 issues, no, I know, but look, so am I. Look, for example, I am, I am uh, pro-choice, Judge. Right. I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-gay marriage. So I'm mm-hmm. a Republican who leans left. I'm not a conservative, like I said earlier. I'm not Rush Limbaugh. But when it comes to fiscal policies, crime, the really, really important stuff, not those silly social issues, I'm a Republican. So why isn't grass on hiking like me, Republicans who lean left? Yeah, because there are many, there are many issues nationally where I'm still more in sync with the Democratic Party. You know, frankly... You know, I'm not a. I am not, and I've said this many times. I am not a. I am not a Trump person. I'm very concerned that both on the right and the left in the Republican Party, I think that in the primary process right now, I'm. I'm frankly amazed that Trump is still ahead. I don't think Trump won the election. I agree with Bill Barr on the current prosecution by Jack Smith with the with the with the with the documents. Uh, I think it's insane that, that not only did he have these documents, but when he was requested to give them back, he didn't give them back. So I don't. Th- if I was running in a Republican primary, you know, I'd have a lot. There'd be a lot of Republicans who don't agree with me. Just like I'm running in a Democrat primary, there are a lot of there are a lot of Democrats who don't agree with me on criminal justice. But I think there are more who agree with me than disagree with me. It's just a matter of breaking through. No, I agree with that. As to why I still consider myself a Democrat. Okay. I'm an independent thinker. I am not driven by extremes. You know, that my, my opponent, what they try and do is paint me as some kind of an extreme, you know, I'm courting Republicans. He courts Trump supporters. Well, sure I do. Because they're my fellow citizens. I might disagree with them. This is very, and on the right, it's the same thing. They're, and you know that. People on the right, if you're not, it's in some circle. If you're not down with the Trump Kool-Aid, you're a rhino. All I know, sudden, but, but, but here's the thing. Cheney is a rhino? No, I know. What but, world do we live in? But the, the problem becomes a sports analogy. There are teams that have two quarterbacks, and what they say is when you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. So while I love where you're coming from, George, I like you personally. I love where you're coming from. 
you know, if you don't really pick a side, you're going to get run over. So it's cute yeah. and it's nice and it's very utopian. Well, well, but the truth is, if you don't pick a side, you're going to get run over. And I think you have to keep yeah. keep mind of that when you're running the GE come November. Yeah. Well, I'm run. That's why I say it again. I created the public safety line. Let's go back. I I analogize it to what Mayor LaGuardia did when he first became mayor. People think back to Mayor LaGuardia as a a liberal Democrat. LaGuardia did not run and win as mayor as a Democrat. He created something called a fusion ticket. He took on the bosses. He took on the machine called Tammany Hall. He got Democrat votes. He got Republican votes. He got independent votes. In my opinion, he was the greatest mayor we ever had by far. So I disagree with you, Sid. I'm not picking a side. I'm an American. I'm an American citizen. And I'm not going to be put into a corner where I have to say, oh, I'm a Republican now because the Democrat machine and Melinda Katz and and Governor Hochul are undermining our laws in ways where I know they, they know better. I'm not going to say, well, now I'm not going to be a Democrat anymore. No, I'm still a registered Democrat, and I'm proud to say I'm a registered Democrat. But I'm a registered Democrat who created an independent public safety line who is proudly, proudly getting ready, is appealing to Democrats, to independents, and Republicans on public safety. And I have the experience and the ability to do so. If you look at the Department of the the Election data, we have close to 400,000 registered Republicans, and they call they're not actually independents. There's no independent party, but non-affiliated voters in Queens County. This particular primary, less than 8%, less than 8%. Of the registered Democrats voted, and they call it a lot. What kind of a landslide? <laughs> yeah, I know, terrible. What kind of a landslide yeah, is yeah. that? In an no, you're right. Where less than eight yeah. percent no, of the listen, people the, vote. The whole voting turnout was ridiculous. They've got to shorten this ten-day early voting period. Nobody basically voted for about eight days. And uh, you're right. I got one more for you. About sixty seconds to go. News yes, of the sir. day. You are a judge. It is the biggest story of the day. I love what SCOTUS did yesterday. Are reversing that ridiculous affirmative action uh, process for college admissions. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of all that in this country. I'm sick of race and gender and sexual preference getting you somewhere. I don't care. I'm all about merit. You don't like Trump, but he's right about that. What are your thoughts, Judge Grasso, in 60 seconds on yesterday's SCOTUS decision? I think we can go in a better direction. I've, I've felt for years that what, what we should focus on if we want to extend the helping hand to people for school admissions and, and, and things of that nature, that we should focus more on socioeconomic factors than pure race. This way, you get to help African Americans who have born and been born into a much tougher position in life than other people, but white people, Asian people. So I think we should start leaning towards socioeconomic factors if we want to help people who've been born in a, in a more difficult station in life than others, as opposed to, to just going in race, I think that's ultimately demeaning to African-Americans. And I also think it's not consistent with what the American way should be in terms of uh, being race neutral. George Grasso, I thought you ran a great campaign. You are my candidate. You will be my candidate again. 
come November, so hopefully we'll have many more conversations before the general election. You keep talking, hold your head high, and we'll do this again in a couple of months. Thank you so much, Judge. Great conversation. Thanks a lot, Jake. You got it, pal. Judge George Grasso. They love him in Rockaway, baby. Bell Harbor, he's the man. Melinda Katz gets the win. We'll see what happens come November. Folks, just getting started. Curtis Sliwa, Andrew Giuliani, Arthur Idala, Norman Seabrook, Brian Kilmeade, former NFL great Bernie Kosar, Michael Goodwin, great actor Chris Marmondo, and Daniel Penny attorney Thomas Kniff, all still to come just today. Three more hours to go, sitting friends in the morning. Radio 77 WABC. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Morning with Curtis Sliwa always brings out the best disco. This is a great song at 7:09. Just so you know, I got a lot of texts and messages about that first hour. People love the first hour, and I'll be honest with you. Me, Danielle, and Gabe walked inside my house after the Gravesend red carpet premiere last night at 12:05 a.m. And my alarm went off this morning at 3:17 a.m. I barely got three hours of sleep, and you love the first hour. So that uh, that's good news. <laughs> we were in the car on the way home last night, and they're like, you're going to be all right, Dad? I'm like, I'll be fine. So we put this time aside every weekday morning because he's great. He gets huge ratings, noon to one, every weekday afternoon. Also big, big ratings, overnights on the weekends. But his best work is right here, 7.05 every weekday morning. People love Curtis Sliwa on this show. And while we've got a big show ahead and a couple of good guests coming up this hour, both Andrew Giuliani and Artie Idala, nobody better than Curtis. And he says to me when he walks in, not one. There's our days he breaks stories on this show often. I'm not going to break one story today. I'm going to break two of them. So with that said, I'm really excited. Here he is, the icon, the legend, Curtis Sliwa. This is Disco Friday. I want to thank uh, my gorgeous wife, Nancy. She picked that Tavares Disco Classic. She picked it? Yes. Now, Tavares also sang, great job, Nancy, who's in the newsroom right now. They also sang More Than a Woman. That's right. With the Bee Gees in that That's movie. right. And they're yeah. from Providence, Rhode Island. Tavares, all family members. But let's get down to business. Like Jack Newfield, remember in that uh, in the uh, movie with DiCaprio, uh, you guys okay? <laughs> I got to get back to business. Yeah. All right, number one, breaking news. You just had an excellent conversation with Judge Grasso, a man of honor, uh, although he didn't take my political advice, no problem. You mentioned two men. You said Judge Grasso, Dove Hyken. I've tried to convince them that they need to become Republicans. 
I told you to get Dove Hyken on because he would announce on your show, but you didn't you didn't heed my advice. No, I did. I reached out to Dove Hyken two days ago, and for the first time in the twenty years I've known Dove Hyken, he said, I'm busy, I can't do it today. Well can we do it tomorrow? Sorry. Uh, that was uh, premature ejaculation on your part. <laughs> you blew it. Uh, you would have had the special. You keep mentioning Dove Hyken, the Democrat. He came before the Ronald Reagan Republican Club in Astoria, packed house, mostly moderate Democrats. And he had announced his conversion. No way. Not No to, way. Not to uh, a Jew for Jesus. He- heavens to Betsy, no. He would have impaled himself with a menorah. His entire family, including Dove, are now registered Republicans. No way. Breaking news. With Curtis Lee. All kidding aside, that's a huge story. Exactly. And that's not the biggest one yet. This guy guy spent four decades as one of the great assemblymen there in Borough Park in the history of Brooklyn as a Democrat. And he's all over Trump these days. He's not a Trump guy. I am. I love Donald Trump. Love him to death. And you're telling me that Dove Hyken has actually done that now? Because we're warriors in solidarity. What did I tell you? That he made me cry the day yes. he came before she the yeah. Astoria Ronald Reagan Republican Club. His story about Auschwitz, his family, speaking about that, and the vile, despicable Eric Adams, who talked about this Holocaust survivor in Washington Heights, 86-year-old Jewish woman, equating her to being a plantation owner and a slave owner, he better apologize because you know Dove Hyken, who's one tough Jew, would be in his face. Now, our own Rabbi Joe Potashnik, that you can hear Sundays with the Reverend A.R. Bernard, recently announced that he's part of the first-ever advisory board of Jewish leaders for Eric Adams, right? What does that mean? You saw the press release. I saw that. It's what exactly does it mean? what Dove Hyken said. It means nothing. <laughs> nothing. If... if Eric Adams does not apologize to this Holocaust survivor, this which Jewish woman. Which he won't do. Then Rabbi Joe should resign what? from this advisory <laughs> board of Jewish markers. Well, wait a second, though. He gets very good ratings at 7 o'clock before John Katsimatidis Yeah, on but he Sundays. never talks about these things. You he know? never talks about these things. <laughs> yeah. I want to force the issue. You can't attack so, a Jew let, like let, that. Let, let, let's do this again. So Mayor Eric Adams, and by the way, I did ask for his apology as well earlier in the program. So you've uh, pretty much repeated what I said. We're in agreement. He needs to apologize to this woman. But you've taken it a step further. Rabbi Joe Potashnik, part of a very popular 7 a.m. Sunday morning show on this station. If, in fact, Adams does not apologize, should what, resign from the rabbi? He shouldn't be a rabbi anymore? No, 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 no. Should advise, uh, should resign from this new advisory board. <laughs> First ever, Eric Adams announced, of Jewish mockers, 40 of them. <laughs> Remember what Dove said? These committees are meaningless. They bring all the Jews together, they have their gefilte fish, and then they go home. It's true. Rabbi Joe, you're listening now. If the mayor does not apologize to a Holocaust survivor, you, as an act of protest, I'm not asking you to light yourself up on fire, pour yeah. gasoline yeah. on yourself in yeah. front of City Hall. Resign. Well, on a more uh, important note, and that's funny, and he should, you're right, but you heard me last hour. I tried to befriend the guy, uh, and we were friendly. We really were. It wasn't a made-up thing for the air to get ratings. But now this is happening way too often. 
That was really despicable yesterday. And it's not because, yes, I love you more. Yes, I'm going to go out there and fight for you to be mayor next time. has nothing to do with that. It has gotten to the point with this mayor where it is so disgusting, the constant attacks on white people. Uh, he's done the Jew thing now more than once. We know already he has history with Farrakhan. So I think it's time for the smiling mayor and all of his buddies, some of whom we work with, to stop lying. And go to Eric look, Adams and say, listen, look, what you do, what you say is wrong. There's no excuse. There's no defending Sid, it. It's Sid, gross. Sid, you're a cracker. I'm a cracker. The Corones are crackers. You heard him say that. All the brave, honorable white men and women that he served with in the police department said, I kick those crackers' ass every day. He did say that. That is in the marrow of his bone. That's in his DNA. You're not going to change it. But. Speaking of Eric Adams, what a great focus group you had last night with the premiere for Gravesend. Oh, so good. A year ago, half that crowd would have shot me. The other half of the crowd would have said, I wouldn't give a nickel, diamond, penny for him to run against Eric Adams. That's all true. How that has totally changed. They love you. I got it. I'm not going to name any names. I am not. But there were a couple of guys who came up to me last night who were not actors. Let's leave it at that. Yes. <laughs> they were there for a mob show. They want, And they're like, I got to tell you, I'm warming up to Curtis. Yes, yes. Oh, it made me so happy, and, Curtis. And, and I'm going to do you a solid. I'm approaching Martin Scorsese, who is their god, right? He's done more mob films, great mob films than oh. anybody in life. It's like Rudy having prosecuted more mobsters. I am approaching him, and I'm going to say, you know, Martin, you can't leave this plane because you left us all confused with the ending of Mean Streets. Fifty years ago, what Mean Streets. What a great movie. 73, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Michael shoots Johnny Boy in the neck. That's De Niro. Johnny Boy's screaming in agony, and it's like the, the last episode of The Sopranos. It went black. What the hell happened? I want the sequel, and I'm going to say to Martin Scorsese, I not only want the sequel... I demand the sequel, and the vicious loan shark this time should be our own Sid Rosenberg. <laughs> the sequel, well, that was never made. No, never made. And uh, Carrie Lake did describe me when she met me a couple of days ago in studio as a hitman. I'm going to say this at the risk of sounding more douchey and arrogant than usual, because I know I'm a dick. But I, um, I watched the first two episodes with about 200 people in the audience last night. They were all there, Curtis. Chaz Palman, Terry, Andrew Dice Clay, Armand DeSante, really distinguished big-time guys, all of them, William DeMeo. And uh, to a man, when it was over, the first two episodes, they all walked up to me and said, Wow! You could really act. There's one scene with me and Dice on a tennis court in Boca Raton, episode two. That is one of the greatest. I don't care if you're talking about Sopranos, Mean Streets, Goodfellas. One of the funniest and best scenes you'll look, ever see. Dice really owned it, but I played a pretty good part look, there. Look, you're so too, you're going to love it, Curtis. You're going to love it. Two Jews from uh, Brooklyn, yes. both who wanted to be Italians in the sixth borough of the city so of New true. York, Boca Raton. So true. In fact, I met Dick DiBetto's uh, uh, agent last night, this guy Russ, and he asked me about Pips. And Dice lived on Nostrand and Pips, R. right across from Lundy's, the comedy Correct. shop. Emmons Avenue, Sheep right, Shed Bay. Right, right. Uh, Dice was Andrew Silverstein, Nostrand and R. I was Sidney Rosenberg, East 22nd and Quentin. Both of us performed at Pips. I was awful. He's going to have to become a genius. By the way, and then the schmuck, the putz, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer, he grew up on Avenue R. His father yeah. was an exterminator. Yeah. He said, Chuck, I want you to follow in my footsteps. He said, I'll exterminate my enemies in <laughs> yeah. politics. And now 
the second. He went to Madison, by the way. Uh, So did Bernie Sanders and my cousin Norm Coleman. Yes, yes. And uh, so did did Dice. Dice. That's right. Yes. Meantime now, the ultimate big news. So he already had one major announcement, Dove Hyken, no longer a Democrat. That is a much bigger story than you're leading on to. That's huge. Absolutely. Now you got a bigger story? Much bigger. As you know, I'm at war with Mike Rendino, the crooked Republican county leader in the Bronx. Of him. Who uh, ran his sister for city council and whose brother-in-law is the commissioner of the board of elections. So you know the fix is in. We now go into the second round of that 13th city council district race where his sister Chrissy leading by 48%, my candidate, George Haranak, 44%, and Samantha, who's been in with you, you endorse 8%. It's ranked choice voting. You know nobody on Samantha's uh, uh, ballot was going to write in Christmas. No. So obviously George will win, except there are 200 absentee ballots. 200 absentee ballots. And each of the campaigns are entitled to have a poll watcher watch them Open up the absentee ballots. You know, this goes back to Roger Stone. Remember 2000? The whole world is watching. By the way, extra hour Roger Stone is getting Sunday. Rudy Giuliani, 2 o'clock, he'll have on Trump. Roger Stone, 3 to 5. But remember when he said the whole world is watching the hanging chairs? Andrew Giuliani, not Rudy. I'm sorry. And and Roger Stone will join me on Wednesday. He's doing a great job. But, yes, they stopped watching the the Trump poster. So every campaign has to be told, hey, you can have a representative come in. We have the absentee ballots. We have the military military ballots, and you watch us. You can't look at them. You can't scrutinize them. But you can watch them or us open up the ballots. We were never informed of that. Never. Not Samantha's team. Not George's team. So who did I call up? Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani will now be representing the George Havernack campaign no. and Samantha to make sure that we get to see these wow. absentee ballots. Now, this That's is how huge. they steal elections. That is That's huge. how they steal elections, oh, Sid Rosenberg. Rich. We're not playing around. <laughs> we go to the very best. Rudy yes. Giuliani said, of course, you're entitled to have somebody in there. You can't interfere. You can't say, oh, I object to that. Oh, I inspect the face of the ballot. No, you can't do that. But you have the right, and it's up to the Board of Elections in the Bronx to have informed both camps since we're going into ranked choice now. The election has not been decided, and guess what? They never informed anybody because the Democrats and Republicans want to keep it that way. You see, Mike Grandino's sister is going to lose. She can't win, and the Democrats know that. You scratch my belly, I scratch yours, and then Mike Grandino can put his beak in the trough and make more money. And by the way, next week when you come back, guess who introduced him to a crowd in Astor County to lobby for the casino there? Bruce Blakeman, county executive, and Rendino said in front of the crowd, I am like you. I am a resident of Nassau <laughs> County. Oh, my God. He said that? Yes, he did. Oh, my God. We got this wow. guy every which way. Hey, Mike Rendino, it ain't over. And we got Rudy Giuliani to make sure this election is fair and square. Those are two major announcements. Dove Hiking now a Republican. Rudy Giuliani once again going to show his medal. But in the last 30 seconds, today is Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell's last day Curtis Lee will gun to the head. Who's the next NYPD commissioner? Oh, right now, Jessica Tish passed the great poupon. But, Sid, you 
me, Brian Kill Me, and everyone of Goodwill have got to stop that in its tracks. Hey, look, Eddie Caban is the best. He's entitled to it. He would be the first Latino police commissioner. But Jessica Tish, hey, Jeeves, could you get the stretch limo? I live on Park Avenue, not in Brooklyn or the Bronx, you know, where people are busting their shoes. But, oh, get, uh, Teterboro, New Jersey, yeah, I need to go to Palm Beach. Let's fly that <laughs> private jet. What do you mean, police commissioner? And Peter King, it's time to finally jump off of the Eric Adams crazy train. Come on, Peter King. This guy is a hater of Jews and anyone white. Because, Peter King, ultimately, you're just a cracker like the rest of us. Sit in Friends in the Morning, 77 WABC. Oh, banana rama, you can't go wrong. President Trump, I did miss out on him again last night. Missed him uh, two weeks ago when he got arrested. I took Gabe to the Met-Yankee game last night. It was at my red carpet premiere for Gravesend with, I know, with Trump and uh, Carrie Lake, who was in with me for a full hour a couple days ago. But I'm sure my next guest was there. In fact, my next guest will be golfing, which he's done a lot lately, with President Trump this afternoon. And on his very popular 2 p.m. Sunday weekend show, he's going to have the president on. Now, he knows him a little bit because, well, he worked with him for four years. And, of course, his father is one of the president's best friends and confidants. I'm talking about, of course, Andrew Giuliani. Andrew, good uh, good Friday morning, pal. How are you? Well, Sid, happy Friday morning. Happy almost Independence Day. And thank you very much for having me on. You know, I'm talking to you right now from the beautiful Trump National in Bedminster. It is a gorgeous morning out here, and I'm very much looking forward to having the 45th, and as you said in your interview, very possibly the 47th president of the United States coming back on WABC this Sunday at 2 o'clock. That is great, and uh, you're going to do a great job. You guys have a nice relationship. I mean, I don't. I guess uh, on, on the top of my head here, Enjoy. You, you've played golf now with Trump like three times the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we have been getting to play a little more golf. You know, getting off the campaign trail for me gave me the opportunity to play a little bit more golf. You don't, might not want to tell John Katsimatidis <laughs> I'm playing quite as much golf as possible. <laughs> he's signing the current checks for me over here. But uh, my former boss certainly uh, likes a little bit of golf. So in this game, I'll tell you what, for a guy who is running for president, it's pretty darn good. He's hitting the ball long and straight. He's putting the ball well. Uh, and he's still uh, pretty yeah. captivating at rallies. He's doing all that. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Yeah. In fact, he had a uh, he put up something a couple of weeks ago when Biden fell off the stage when he spoke at the Air Force <laughs> Academy. So he's got a clip of Biden falling off the stage, and the very next clip, Andrew, is Trump hitting a tee shot like 400 <laughs> yards at 77 years old, just to show you the difference when it comes to strength, and not just physical strength, but obviously a mindful strength, which is why we need Donald Trump back so badly. So when you're out there with him again today, as you've done so many times the last couple of weeks, hitting that golf ball, does he talk about politics? Well, what is he, what is he, you're talking about five hours. What does he talk about? Yeah. 
So actually, the last time I played with him, Sid, was the day that he, the day after he found that he was going to get indicted in the Jack Smith investigation. The thing that was amazing, he was certainly was fielding calls. It felt like almost every minute that day. He'll normally hold his calls, but he certainly interrupted the round a few times for uh, important calls. The thing that was amazing to me, though, is just how positive he was, how optimistic he was during all of this, right? You think you're getting indicted now for the second time. You know, this is a federal indictment. This is the first time a sitting president, I'm sorry, a president has done this. Um, it's kind of amazing to see how the guy still continues to take all these arrows in the back and is just as positive as he possibly is. So look, sometimes they'll talk about this. The one thing I can say, though, did, and I remember playing with him the day that he ended up killing Baghdadi, and he ended up pressing the, pressing the button for that. He never, ever revealed anything that there was anything going on. So any, anything regarding any type of classified intel, anything regarding any type of special mission that was going to put U.S. troops' lives at risk, is an absolute steel trap on that stuff. But, yeah, of course, he always will talk a little bit about the current indictments, what's going on, the state of our country. Um, you know, one of the things I'm looking forward to asking him, obviously, on top of whether or not the FBI or the DOJ is fixable, is asking him what he thought as a grandfather at the gay pride parade of this group coming out and saying, we're coming for your children. What does that mean for him? Not just as a former president, maybe future president, but as a grandfather. There's a whole lot to, uh, to ask him. I actually would love some advice from you. What do you think I should ask him as you interviewed him so well just recently? Well, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. And, and look, I, you know, I think uh, for me, the shining moment, I, I had him on the day after the CNN interview, so it's a lot of easy stuff to get to. But, Andrew, for me, I just asked him flat out. I said, look, you've run twice before, and I get the feeling you've got the fire in the belly now more than ever. Because the truth is, no matter what he says, uh, 2016, he did not think he was going to win. 2020, he thought he was going to win. Now you got 2024. He needs to win. So he admitted to me here on the air that I think you're right, Sid. I think, yes, I do want this one more than uh, more than the rest. You know what it is? I like to uh, to take him out of his comfort zone and every now and then talk about stuff that he doesn't talk about every single day. And for example, yeah. you know, you're, you're a big-time golfer. You're playing golf with him today. He's uh, he's a live golf guy. You know, we just a couple of days ago, we saw that deal getting done, three different entities, which the big ones, of course, are PGA and live. I'd like to yeah. get something on that from Donald Trump. Absolutely. I think even HBO Sports admitted this is the sports story of the year, looking at this merger and the way the PGA Tour has kind of done this complete 180. And, and uh, so it would be fascinating. He predicted it a year ago. But, I mean, even thinking about talking a little bit about artificial intelligence, the, the power that you're dealing with is that, whether or not he thinks that's something to harness, whether he thinks that's dangerous. So you're right, something that's, that he can't go on his greatest hits monologue of I'm, I'm sure he probably will he'll be able to probably get some certain good stuff in there but it'd be nice to get a couple of different takes from him that maybe he hasn't gotten from uh, from anybody else so give me uh, one more and again folks you're listening to andrew giuliani does a terrific show 2 p.m every sunday i'm proud of him and he's got president trump coming on this sunday and he worked with the president for four years him and his dad very close with trump so it promises to be a very intimate terrific conversation Give me your thoughts. I mean, right now he's burying DeSantis. It's not even close. Some say, Sid, it's early. It's not early, folks. It's not. Now, it's not late, but it's not early. What are your thoughts right now on Trump beyond the primary? Is he electable? Can he win the general election? Well, that's the that's the billion-dollar, trillion-dollar question when you think about what's going to get spent on these campaign ads. 
uh, and the campaign trail here. I think he absolutely is electable. I think when you look at it, we're talking about five or six states that he's going to have to focus and see whether or not he can pull enough independents and blue dogs in those states. I think the thing that concerns me the most, Sid, is nothing that's in his control. It's when you look at the Pennsylvanias, the Arizonas, and the Wisconsin. We'll take those three states, which are going to be swing states. The people who ran the election in Pennsylvania in 2020, they're now the governors, the secretaries of state, Hobbs and Shapiro. Same thing in Wisconsin, where in Wisconsin, they lost the Supreme Court. I know the state legislature got a little bit more conservative, but they lost the Supreme Court. Can they trust the election in those states? And does he have a plan to make sure that the problems that he has talked about time and time again in those states, does he have a plan to make sure that they can overcome that? That's a big deal. And again, I'm just a couple of days removed from Carrie Lake in these studios. I know you were with Carrie at Bedminster last night, and she got job same way out in the state in uh, in Arizona. She feels like she won that thing relatively easily, but Hobbs is the governor, not her. So that is a major concern on the way out here, Andrew. I've got so many friends who say, listen, I love Trump. I'm voting for Trump. But the truth mm-hmm. is, it's not going to matter. And it's sad right. to hear that in 2023. Absolutely. And I think that's why he has to have a plan to make sure he can assure other Americans that this is the plan. This is what we saw in 2020. And this is what we plan to do. I want to say in November of 2024, but we know that it's become really yeah. election month or election season. So this is what we plan to do for election season of 2024 to make sure that your vote counts and to make sure that we can trust our election process. What time is uh, tea off for you guys? You know what? It's whenever the president says it. It's amazing. You know, if we were playing at Rosenberg National or Giuliani National, it might be whenever we said it as well. So we're, we're planning for 830, but it could be 9, could be 930. It's just a matter of what world leaders going to call them between now and then. <laughs> it's funny. It's true. Well, listen, uh, have a great time out there this morning. Give my regards to uh, to the president. We're all looking forward to your interview coming up at 2 p.m. on Sunday. It promises to be great. So enjoy today. Enjoy Sunday. We'll talk again soon, buddy. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for coming on. Sid, thanks for having me, and congratulations on the continued success. You're kicking you-know-what, and we'll see you very soon. All right, Andrew. Thank you, buddy. There he is, Andrew Giuliani. Make sure you listen. Got a great show every Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And, yes, as he's about to tee off with President Trump in New Jersey this morning, he will have President Trump live coming up on Sunday. All right, we're going to talk to Arthur Idala coming up next. Obviously, the Supreme Court's decision to overturn affirmative action, which is a great, great, great decision in these college admissions. That is uh, number one for Arthur this morning. So we'll talk to Artie Idala coming up next. And a great guest list the rest of the way, which includes Norman Seabrook, Brian Kilmeade, former NFL star quarterback Bernie Kosar, New York Post columnist Michael Goodwin, Chris Marmondo, great actor from Gravesend, and Daniel Penny's attorney Thomas Kniff. All those guys still have come on this monster Friday edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning. Sid and Friends in the Morning, 77 WABC.
picture this as Hollywood actors are preparing to go on strike. We're coming home last night, late, close to midnight, from this red carpet premiere for Gravesend Season 2, which is really outstanding. I mean, it is great. And my son Gabe is in the back seat playing DJ, and he loves this song, sort of me and Danielle. This is Depeche Mode. He starts playing it at about 11.30. What do I do? I text Lou Rafino. That was a late text last night. That wasn't a Lucky Saturday him. morning, you know, yacht rock. Lucky. <laughs> yeah. You love this song too, though, right? I actually, I looked at the time and I thought, was this 10 minutes ago? Because I just woke up. <laughs> yeah. And I looked at it and I thought, what? 10.57 yes. or something. 11 o'clock, yeah. yeah. I slept for two hours and 45 minutes last night and the show's been great. I mean... George Grasso, Curtis Sliwa, Andrew Giuliani, all great, great music, great conversation. Just a great show. Every day, every day, this is a great show, the best show in New York. Anybody who argues is a dick. I'm not going to be awake uh, Saturday morning at 9 o'clock when you want to call me, so don't. Well, I'm, not, uh, I'm off the next four days. I'm not going to call you till you like, probably Monday. You texted me yesterday with a guest you booked for Wednesday. Next I did. Wednesday. Yeah, well, that's Roger Stone. He won't leave me alone. Okay. Well, he's a great guest, but I'm just He's saying. a great guest. In fact, I gave him another hour, I think, on Sunday. Oh, I don't know. I don't Giuliani, know. two to three, and Stone, three to five. Okay, listen. Audio dollars on the phone. Great uh, famed defense attorney. He reached out to me yesterday, and I wanted to bring him on anyway about this uh, SCOTUS decision. But Audie's got a bigger problem, and that is that Idala, while he's a great attorney and wins most of the time, doesn't win every time. Nobody does. Well, he's representing Bill de Blasio. The bad news for him is is that my beautiful wife, Danielle, she's on the other side. I'm not going to tell him exactly specifically where, but um, she's going to make his life miserable. How do you feel about that, Artie? Well, this is what I'm going to say. You know who's going to disagree with you about having the best show on radio? Who? Curtis Sliwa. No, he won't. He admits. He <laughs> yeah, admits. Yeah. No, no, he's no, no, no. He's the greatest no, no, of all no, time. No, he admits every day that this is the big one. So I know you, you and Curtis have your back and forth issues, and he's mad. Oh, I love Curtis. We made out the other night. You know, he, he doesn't tell you he swings that way a little bit, but he <laughs> yeah. does. Just that, that's why he attacks me. It's it's to, it's to throw off the scent. But he really is in love with me, really passionate. Well, no, the truth is, he hasn't loved anyone like me since Lisa Sliwa. Well, I don't know about that, but if he does attack you, that means he likes you. That's where people get confused. Yeah, it's kind of a funny thing. But believe me, I am very well aware. So, so before we get to the Scotus decision, tell me. I know you're friends with the Blasio for years. I don't care. I when I say I love you, I legitimately love you. I don't care what kind of attorney you are. You're great. You're right there. You, Takapina, you're all the best. Uh, but but why would you ever represent, forget about Harvey Weinstein, I'd almost rep- represent Harvey before Bill. I mean, Bill, I know your president is a real scumbag. Why would you do, uh, represent uh, Bill de Blasio? Why? Um, because they're actually, I mean, besides the fact that, I mean, they're going after him for money that he spent on his uh, presidential campaign. But no. way, they're really, they're really why they're doing it, is to go after Eric Adams. They want to tell Eric Adams, you better not be spending any money running for anything else and asking the city to pay for it. And it's this simple. Here's their rule. Their rule is is that if you're the mayor, you're entitled to, to protection all the time. When you go to Italy, like de Blasio was, like de Blasio did on vacation, or if you're campaigning in, uh, in Iowa. But all of a sudden, for the first time, and Rudy Giuliani, who 
is not a big Bill de Blasio fan. He said to me, Arthur, this is absolute BS what they're doing to this guy. They said, okay, we're going to pay for the police officers, but we're not going to pay for their food, their hotel, and their cars. It's the first time from Ed Koch to, to Giuliani to Dinkins uh, to, 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 to Rudy and, and Bloomberg. They've never done that before, and they did it for the first time to, to de Blasio, not for Bill de Blasio. Okay. They did it to tell Eric Adams, okay. we know you have higher aspirations. Don't think you're going to get protection going around okay. the country. Fair running for I got it. Uh, by the way, his security detail hated his guts, every one of them. I can promise you that that's the truth, Bill de Blasio. Uh, but, but the last thing, you could do this whole audience a huge service of why you're defending Bill de Blasio. Ask him what his wife did with $1.5 billion, Arthur. $1.5 oh. billion. Well, I think your wife, Danielle, is going to ask him that. Listen to me. I mean, there's, there's three cases I want to talk to you about. We can talk about the Blasio, but I think your, your, your listeners will be more involved with this. First of all, one that is not a Supreme Court case, but it's a, it's a big conviction, and it's great for the school kids. Um, the, the feds went after the guy. He was the chief executive officer of, for the Board of Education, Department of Education, regarding the kids' food. His name was Eric Goldstein. And basically, he was convicted as well as the suppliers of the kids' food here in our public schools. So the suppliers of the food was giving this guy money under the table, a lot of money, so that they would win the contract to feed our students, the little boys and girls. They go to PS-185 and PS-102, and Sid, I mean, you should have seen this food. There was metal, pieces of metal in it, pieces of plastic in it. In other words, he, they paid him off. They got the contract. The, co- the company's name is Soma. They got the contract, and they couldn't handle the contract. It was too much, $40 million. So they were just throwing any kind of junk in our kids' food, bloody chicken, undercooked chicken, oh my God. people choking on stuff. And for one, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the feds, but for once they did a real good thing, and this guy is going to be sentenced by a very serious judge. But it sends us a message out there. I mean, what kind of a piece of garbage do you have yeah, to be? I agree. I mean, I mean, greed that you're gonna you're gonna let kids choke on on pieces of metal and pieces of plastic in a chicken tender. But the, the packaging said boneless chicken tenders, and then there were bones in it to the point where one of the workers choked on it. They had to do the Heimlich maneuver in the middle of uh, of the cafeteria. So. Kudos for that guy getting convicted. And the other big United States Supreme Court case, which I know your listeners would be happy to hear, is the Supreme Court yesterday, in a unanimous decision written by Justice Alito, said, hey, if you have to give people reasonable religious accommodations. So if a guy on Sunday for the post office, this was the case, says, look, I don't want to work on Sunday. I'll work on Saturday. I'll work on the other six days of the week. But on Sunday, that's my religious day. That's my Sabbath. I don't want to work. If there's a way for them to do it, any this is any business, but as a way to accommodate them without causing, quote, unquote, financial hardship, businesses have to accommodate people's reasonable religious accommodations are unanimous decisions. So the far left on the court, the far right on the court, they all agreed that our religious rights are paramount. And you know what? When I walk into court, Sid, I see too many black kids as defendants. And a lot of that, in my opinion, has a breakdown of the family values and family values and religion are intertwined. I don't care what religion it is. If you're in the synagogue, you're in the mosque, you're in the church. Uh, you know, uh, this is a good ruling, and this this will 
affect people across the board. So that's wonderful. Now, uh, I, I, agree on, no, I agree with both of those. Uh, I really do. Uh, I agree on both. I think the outcomes were great. And I even agree with your point about young black kids. But before you get to the SCOTUS decision that I love that was passed yesterday because I'm sick and tired of people advancing in this country based on color or creed or sexual preference. I mean, I've had enough. God, it's nauseating. Uh, uh, Frank Morano asked a question this morning, and it's something I'm interested in, too. The uh, Supreme Court is about maybe to decide on another major one today, and that is the case on uh, student loans. Any opinion where that may go which way? I don't. I don't have. I only because you know I try to be accurate when I talk to you. So I have not read uh, both briefs on on both sides. So I, I do not know. I mean, I, here's what I'm happy about about this religious decision is that because un, unlike the affirmative action decision, it's great when the justices agree. And we know we focus on oh, there's the right leaning block and the left leaning block on the Supreme Court. However, the vast majority of cases this uh, term have been unanimous. So it's great that that, you know, we, we Biden yesterday after the affirmative action decision, he gets out that this is a messed up court. This is a, I forget what he said, a crazy court, I think he said, which is just a stupid thing for the, the chief executive of, of the nation to say about another branch of government, especially the Supreme Court of the United States. But when you break it down and when people actually look past the headlines, the justices, the justices usually agree because these are legal issues based on statutes or based on prior case law. And that's the way the system is supposed to work. And so it's a good thing. The system is working. But yesterday, here's what's interesting, really, Sid, when you dig deep down about yesterday's decision. You have two black members of the court. The, the oldest member of the court, and I don't mean by age, I mean by senior, how long he's been there, Clarence Thomas, and the youngest member of the court, um, Brown Jackson. And they're two black people, and they're two obviously very involved uh, with with this case because it affects black kids, and they take two different tacks. They both grew up in very, um, you know, racially sensitive areas. They, neither one of them grew up with with a silver spoon in their mouth. And basically, Clarence says, you know, if you're letting kids into school just because they're black, you know what it does to the kid, the black kid who's supposed to be there, who has the grades, who has the SAT scores? It minimizes their achievement, and I don't believe in fighting racism by being a racist. Right. Because by letting a kid in because they're black instead yep. of white, that's yep. a racist decision. So he goes, how could it be, how could it make sense that we're going to fight racism by being racist? And the, and the, the newest justice really, I mean, they attack each other personally, <laughs> not just their ideas. They're yeah. personally going on it. Yeah. I mean, he, he says she still thinks we're locked in this world of slavery and nothing has changed since the uh, hundred years. Of I mean, they're personally beating each other up, which is not a normal yeah. thing. And now you have the two African-American members of the court really attacking each other, which is which is a big deal. But the chief justice, basically what he writes is and he doesn't do this, but he basically quotes Martin Luther King Jr. When he says people should be judged by not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That's basically what justice uh, with the chief justice writes is that you should look at everything, including if they write a personal essay and it talks about the hardships of growing up in East New York, et cetera. You know, you can take that into consideration, but you just can't have a statistical checklist that says, okay, black check, black check, black check, Hispanic check, Hispanic check. Oh, whites. No, you can't apply. Look real quick, Sid, one of my dear, dear friends, his daughter graduated poly prep last year, not this past May, last May. 
number two in her class at Poly Prep, editor of the Polygon on the softball team. I think she got a 1580 or 1570 on the SAT. Almost a perfect score. She got two things wrong. She got in nowhere. Dartmouth, wow. Brown, University of Pennsylvania, zero, not one place. Our friend Bruce Sharrett was with me last night. You know what he said? 30 years ago, 36% of the Ivy League population was Jewish. Today, it's less than 7%. He <laughs> goes, what happened? The, Jew, the Jews got stupid all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. No. 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 So, there, listen, there are certain wrongs that need to be righted. We get it. And the original decision that was overturned, which was written decades ago, in that decision, it said this rule should not be implemented forever. It should be there should be a sunset provision of it. And we've come to that sunset provision of it. And the last thing that's important legally, which is a little bit of a twist, the, the chief justice who wrote the opinion said we will make an exception for the military, for West Point, for Annapolis, because that's where the officers come out. The leadership of our military comes out, and it is so important that they reflect the colors of the nation as leaders that we will allow them to say, okay, we got 10 whites, 10 blacks, 10 Asians, 10 Hispanics, and then and, and we're good, and, and eliminate people who may have higher test scores or may have better qualifications just based on race. Yep. But, it, you know, it was a very big decision. Agreed, and a good one. Uh, 60 seconds to go out there. I had uh, attorney Jason Goldman on yesterday. He was the attorney for Jordan Williams. Yep, who uh, know. You know. Brooklyn uh, DA, former Brooklyn DA. Correct. Broke with Eric Gonzalez. Now he's got an office in Joe Takapina's office. He got uh, the kid off who was defending himself and his girlfriend, uh, Jordan Williams, which was good. But on the same day, my buddy Thomas Kniffel will join me at 945 this morning. He's got Daniel Penny in court, and Penny is facing 15 years. Everybody seems to think Kniff and Razor will get the win, and Penny will walk away. 30 seconds or less, what do you think? It's, you're in two, two different boroughs, Sid, and, and all, without making a joke, there is a difference between the people who live in Brooklyn and the people who live in Manhattan and the standards that they hold people to. There was a Brooklyn grand jury who probably a little more blue-collar, ride the trains more. They, they get more uh, of these people in their face. They can relate to the act of self-defense. The people in Manhattan who are taking their Ubers all over the place – they they may have a different perspective on things. Oh, that you can't you can't minimize. Well, but you talk about the people. Just just start with the DAs. There's a big difference between Eric Gonzalez and Alvin Bragg. No, no, yeah, but they both charge him with the same thing. They both charge a man too. Eric Gonzalez put the case in the grand jury with man two and and possession of a weapon, and the grand jury blew it out. Eric yep. Gonzalez didn't say I'm not I'm not prosecuting right, him. Right. The people of the grand jury said it, and Alvin Bragg charged the. Penny with the same thing. There's also a big difference with the video. The video for Penny, you don't see uh, the deceased um, acting like a nut job. You just see him basically being uh, the life being drained out of him. Right. In the in the Brooklyn case, you see the guy beating the heck out of him and his girlfriend. And and so you know you, you actually see the, the violence. And there was physical contact in the Brooklyn case before the defendant acted. Whereas in Penny's case, the guy was screaming and acting like a nut job, but he hadn't punched anyone in the face yet. And I think that would be a factor that a grand juror may look at. All right, but, 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 but Kniff is the, is the best, man. He's very handsome. He is very handsome, and he uh, served this country proudly. Look who's talking about handsome. Uh, you're great every time, and today was really great, Arthur. So thank you so much. Enjoy the 4th of July. Terrific job. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Kisses to the whole family, especially your mother. You, <laughs> I will. I love you, Artie. Thank you. Great defense, Attorney Arthur Idala. That wraps up a really good two hours, folks. 
and Judge George Grasso, Curtis Sliwa, Andrew Giuliani, and Arthur Idala. We're only halfway done. we got an amazing guest list the rest of the way, which includes Norman Seabrook, Brian Kilmeade, former NFL great quarterback Bernie Kosar, New York Post columnist Michael Goodwin, Chris Marmondo, great actor from Gravesend, and the aforementioned Daniel Penny attorney, Thomas Kniff. All that's still to come. Only halfway done. Your favorite talk show in New York City. That's me, Sid Rosenberg, on a Friday. Sit in friends in the morning. Friends, how many of us have them? 77 WABC. That old familiar meant to kill you. Oh, good tune, brother. Good tune. Make a country boy. I gotta tell you, I can't stop laughing. I keep watching out of the corner of my eye. Fox News just aired it about 10 times. So Biden was in town yesterday, this despicable idiot, this president. He was in town, and he stopped by Secaucus, New Jersey, to sit in with Nicole Wallace. Nicole Wallace used to write for Bush, but something happened to her. Fine. And uh, so she's interviewing Biden, and for some reason, this uh, idiot thought the interview was over. And he got up, and he literally walked behind her while the interview was still She's going... Can you sit down? We're not done yet. He didn't even respond. It was like he was a, like a uh, zombie. He walked off. He had no idea what was still going on. Nothing this guy does will oh shock you. Oh, my God. If he started He's... taking his pants off and his shirt, thinking yeah, he was I wouldn't at home, be surprised. Yeah. You, would I you know. really be surprised? I, I was telling Lewis, half the interview was staged as well. There I know. Were, there were clear T-ball Clearly, questions that yes. were teed up for him to be uh, like. Well, that's what MSNBC and Nicole Wallace do. They're terrible people. I mean, it was terrible. And then I just saw uh, Eric Adams <laughs> and the city council leader, Adrian Adams, both named Adams, fighting over this ridiculous budget. Somehow it's $107 billion. I don't know how. $107 billion on what? And that brings me to my next guest, who at one point was one of the finest men we had in this city. And hopefully he'll be one of those guys again, Norman Seabrook. Norman, you're in a primetime slot on a Friday morning. Good morning, buddy. Good morning. I love you, man. I love you. And your son's doing great in that basketball. Tell me thank to keep, you. Going. keep man, going. Thank you. I appreciate all your sweet messages on Instagram, your text messages. You really are a sweet and terrific guy. I've known that for 20 years. No, I want to get, uh, before we get to the AG stuff you discussed with me off the air, this decision yesterday by the Supreme Court to stop rewarding people based on color or creed or any of these types of things that for some reason we do all the time in this country. I'm curious, your thoughts as an African-American black man, because Morgan Freeman gets mad, as a black man, what are your thoughts on the SCOTUS decision? Well, I, you know, Sid, this gives people an opportunity to step up their game. Um, What do I mean by that? If the SCOTUS decision uh, has a direct impact on people of color, which it will, it can, step up your game in New York, step up your game in Chicago, step up your game around the country and allow these educators to be educators and teach the children what they're supposed to have, what they're supposed to know to be competitive going forward. We seem to think that just putting a child in a classroom 
becomes a babysitting service. And the teachers are so disenchanted. They're just like, okay, some of them work really, really hard. And then some of them are like, you know, I really can't do this, but I have to do this to pay the bills. Give them the supplies that they need. Give them more uh, teachers in New York. Give them more um, programs for them to get in so that they can be competitive with other countries or, or other groups of people. But don't allow yourself to be um, stifled by the word of we're going to change the policy on SCOTUS. Let's get back to, okay, you changed the the goal line. I get that. That means I got to play harder. I like it. Norman Seabrook. I like that. So you've been critical of Mayor Adams on this show. You were at one point were the head of the union for Department of Corrections. Uh, There's a lot of issues with the DOC. We know that. It was pointed out just a couple of weeks ago, and you said it all goes back to the mayor. The mayor has had a miserable run. Even I am basically done with him once again, attacking a lady yesterday, calling her basically a slave owner, plantation. Turns out it couldn't have gone worse for Eric. She's a Holocaust survivor. My God. So he has made that uh, gap and called out people for being racist time and time again. And it's really become nauseating at this point. So what are your thoughts? I talked about the $107 billion budget, but what are your thoughts overall in the way Eric Adams handles himself? I think that um, it's, it's just like uh, the president or, or, or anyone else, unless you're independent, of course. It's your handlers that are around you that is not advising you correctly. I, I can't blame uh, Eric on 100%, but I, he, he has to take the responsibility because the buck stops, stops with him. At the end of the day, he has to be able to surround himself with those that are going to give him sound advice. And he has to take the opportunity just to take a step back. And well, say, well, that's okay, fine. But that's these- fine. But, but, doesn't, but doesn't it show you because, you know, a lot of guys aren't willing to listen. Donald Trump, I love him dearly. I hope he wins by a landslide. He doesn't care who's around him. He's going to say what he wants. Eric Adams, for as much as he dislikes Donald Trump, he's just like him in a lot of respects. And when he tells you time and time again, hey, you don't agree, you're a racist, that's in his heart, Norman. That can't that's come wrong. from anybody else. Yeah. That, that's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. And certainly, uh, and I heard the, the tape, everybody's listening to the tape <clears throat> of the way that he spoke to the woman up in Washington Heights. It, it's wrong. She deserves an apology. There's no question about it that that didn't even sound right. I don't know what the intentions were, but it didn't sound right. And you have to stop saying those things because those things are detrimental to your future, if that's what you want to call it, and or that's detrimental to you as people looking upon you as you who was a friend always going to dinner, now looking at him going, yo, brother, what's wrong with you? Exactly. You yo, yo, brother, what, you know, you, you call it, I always say, you keep calling somebody else a racist, you keep doing that, and eventually they're going to call you one. And if you're Eric Adams, why would you want that? How do you think he's handled the whole police commissioner search today being the very last day for the current commissioner, Keyshawn Sewell? Well, I, congratulations to uh, the outgoing commissioner. I think that she was a breath of fresh air to uh, the city of New York and, and a, a beacon of light to uh, men and women and fire department and EMS in uniform. And I think that uh, what Eric is, is faced with right now is trying to appease whomever it is that he's trying to do that to. And I think it's wrong. I think that the person that goes into that spot should be the person that's qualified and bona fide to be able to do that job. Forget about the fact that, you know, you got a female that you want to put there or you got a male that you want to put there, you want to put an Asian or Hispanic. 
get the best qualified people to do the job that we need in this city. Couldn't agree more. And a lot of folks, they hear the name Tish, they think money. And as you know, in politics, often you follow the money. Another thing, if you're Adams, you don't want to get involved in that. Uh, you said something very interesting to me a couple of days ago, Norman, because you're a very, very smart guy. And you said, what if, what if we decided that we weren't going to vote for the AG, that the AG would be picked, like you talked about with Adams and the police commissioner? I like that idea. Why do you why you bring that up and, and why do you love that idea? Well, I, I brought that up because, you know, when you when you look at the optics of the way that the uh, president and the former president and the one before that, everyone has their own attorney general. You know, I, I picked him. I picked him. The attorney general, I thought I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I don't know the law like that. But the attorney general was supposed to be independent of the president. Right. Supposed to be a person that represents the people. If the person that represents the people is appointed by an individual that appointed them, their loyalty is probably to that person. So we face all of these accusations. Why not have us vote for the attorney general? For the United States, just as we vote for the district attorneys in New York, the the uh, state attorney general in New York, right. in other places. And that would make it so much easier where the people would have the responsibility to say, we voted for that person. That yeah. person represents us. No, listen, uh, although Bill Barr doesn't fall into that category because he became very critical of Trump on the way out. But it does seem like these guys end up, quote unquote, working for the president, but how, Norman Seabrook, do you expect me to trust people who vote in people like Alvin Bragg and Letitia James? Well, I, at the end of the day, elections have consequences. You know, that's the bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Elections have consequences. And, and until we uh, decide to vote for a person based on their qualifications and what their agenda is that brings us to the next level and stop voting simply because... It's a block, and, and for 20 years we voted this way, and for 30 years we voted that way. Forget that. At the end of the day, the bottom line to it is what's in your wallet at right. the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, one last one here, Norm. It's always a great conversation. Again, you work with the DOC, and you know you know more about crime in this city and, and the folks that actually do the best to protect us from it. And there have been some numbers that are positive for this administration, for City Hall, some but overwhelmingly, it's still a miserable time here in New York City, and people are still scared to death. Do you, in your heart of hearts, feel like that's going to change? I'm not saying Rudy Giuliani, I get it, that was a once-in-a-lifetime deal. But do you think that'll change for the better? Or are you might, like most of us, and that is, eh, not really. Brother, how many years are we talking about that I have to work with? We just can't say that. Kid. I just can't say that. We gotta, what, 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 what's the time frame we're talking about? Is it going to be better? Ten years? How about five, five years? years? How about five years? Five years. Five years, we, it, that's kind of tough. We might get there on the fifth year. We might get there. You know, but we got a lot of, we got a lot of work ahead of us. We really do. Um, and, and, it, and it's not... I mean, the sky's not falling, 
But at the end of the day, it, it, it appears to be shifting. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. We got to do what we got to do. Hey, listen, you're uh, you're great, and uh, I'm glad you're back uh, with us here at WABC. Back coming on with me. But they're going to bring you on more often uh, later on this summer. You're a terrific voice. So thank you, Norman Seabrook. Enjoy the Fourth of July. We'll talk soon. Thank you, my friend. You and your family. God bless you. God bless you and your family, too, and your daughter, Tiffany. I love that girl out there in California. We'll, uh, we'll take a short break. When we get back, we don't stop on this show. We go from one great guest to another. My next guest, ah, Paul DiGiacomo checking in. I love Paul DiGiacomo. Since bail reform, 2020, 38 shooting collars and 15 murder Collins with open gun arrest. Collars, I should say. All the numbers he's uh, printed out for me here since 2020. What up the 2023? I'll get you all those numbers from the man who represents the DEA, my dear friend, as I just mentioned, Paul DiGiacomo. We'll talk to Brian Kilmeade from WABC and Fox News coming up next. Party crowd is party thirty. Lord have mercy, I'm feeling good. accident. Trust Gabu Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabu Law has recovered millions for their clients and they will be able to help you, but don't take our word for it. Read their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabu Law today, 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or Email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O law.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Sitting friends in the morning, and uh, this gentleman is on once a week, like a lot of guys are, but this guy is so good, like I say every week, whether it's Fox and Friends every morning on Fox News, his own show, which I was on last Saturday, and I loved it. I love being on One Nation Saturday nights at 8 o'clock, or of course, on After Me here on WABC, 10 o'clock every weekday morning. It is the multi-talented Brian Author Kill Me. Good morning, Brian. Sid, great job last week. Just so you know, as the Russian all hell broke loose in Russia, we had to redo parts of the show. All the producers got around and we said, let's uh let's blow off the news duel. Let's postpone Rob Snyder. 
Let's not touch Sid in the panel. It's funny you say that. And that was consensus. I know. It's funny. And I think Dr. Jew may have made the cut either. But uh, it's funny you say that. Uh, He's going to be on this weekend. He is. Okay. So I'm in an Italian restaurant last Saturday night, place I frequent often. They love me there. And I go to them at 8 o'clock. I go, you got to put Fox News on. There's a whole (laughs) bunch of people. And they go, why? I go, I'm on it. So they put it on. And there you are, talking to Colonel Jack Keane about this ridiculous non-story about a ragtag Wagner group who'd started their way towards Moscow until Putin threatened to kill them all. So I text your producer, Taylor Walters, and I go, oh, don't tell me. She goes, don't you worry. 8.45, you're on. So I watched it. It came out great. In all seriousness, Brian, you do a great job on Saturday nights. Well, we covered one. In, thank you. Uh, we covered one uh, incident that people outside New York probably don't know, but as you know, with Danny Penny, the family of uh, is it Jordan? Jo- uh, what's jo- his Jordan, Jordan Williams or Jordan Neely? Jordan, Jordan, well, uh, yeah, Neely. Uh, right. Jordan Williams got off, thankfully. Yes, but uh, the family uh, said, yeah, they, "Why didn't they just ask Jordan uh, what's wrong? How can I help you?" Instead of putting him in a, a restraint hold. Yeah, and so then two days later. Uh, an African-American man sees a guy going crazy on on a subway, and he says, hey, listen, man, why don't you calm down? I'm a friend of yours. How could I help you? And the guy goes, I don't know you, and put takes his knife out and uh, cuts a hole in him from the top of his head all the way down his yep, neck. Yep. Thankfully, he's okay. Yep. But this goes to show you the idiocy of what's going on right now, this criminal first attitude. And a lot of people around the country knew nothing about this. You did a great job of uh, showing that story. You even showed that that scar, the knife wound, all of that. That was actually uh, Jordan Neely's attorney that you played on Saturday that made that ridiculous yeah. comment. But, yeah, that's uh, that's a big story here in New York. There were tons of stories here in New York. You go right to the mayor. And, again, the mayor and I, we have not spoken now for a couple of weeks, and that's not by accident. I've lost it with him. I'm done. You know, I'm sick and tired of every time somebody criticizes the mayor, it's a race issue. You know, you're a cracker. He has said that before. He's talked about white journalists. Now, yesterday, and an 80-plus-year-old Holocaust survivor calls her a plantation owner. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't care whether he's better than de Blasio or not. I don't care whether he's a good guy or not. I've dined with the guy. I am done with Mayor Eric Adams. He's got to stop that nonsense. Yesterday was despicable. This 84-year-old woman was just upset about her rent going up. Why does everything have to be about race? And then she says, you're a plantation owner? Really? Plantation owner? Look at her background. Obviously, if you just look at her. You know, and in New York City, you're not going to get many people with a plantation mindset in New York City. Uh, and I don't really know anyone that exists anywhere uh, because I actually, you know, travel. I travel a ton, talk to a ton of people. So to come out and just use that old thing, well, you must be a racist if you're critical of me, is crazy. Absolutely crazy. So you've got a, a, a couple of kids, a bunch of kids, all great kids, smart, great athletes. My daughter's in college right now. My son too young. But the Supreme Court came down with this decision, which basically says, which Trump always talks about, merit. You want to get into a good school? Show me you belong there, not the fact that you're black. And, of course, Al Sharpton is furious and others here in New York City. But that SCOTUS decision yesterday I thought was great. Finally, we're starting to get things going in the right direction. Brian Kilmeade's thoughts. A couple of things. Number one, I don't know how you get kids into college today. 
because they got rid of class rank, which I thought was the leveler. So maybe the school down the block from you is harder than the school up the block from you. Well, how do you do compared to the other kids in the same class? So I thought class rank was great. They go, oh, no, that's, we don't want to do that. Really? Tell a kid that he's 200th out of a 500-person class? Is that going to hurt his feeling? Are we going to motivate him or her? Or is that what you get? You get an 82 average. Or if you're top 10, you should know that you're the top 10 in the school. If you don't like my school, just know I did the bet better than anybody else. All right, so we got through that out. So that was strange. Then we threw out the SATs. How are you going in? Well, they're racist. How are they racist? Just what is vocabulary? What's English? What's math? How's that racist? Maybe the essay question could be analyzed by some anthropologist. Okay, good luck with that. <laughs> now, you can't look at these. Now you have to say to these people, and I think it's great. Oh, what are your grades? Where are you from? How does your essay? No longer are you American Indian. Are you from the Caribbean? Are you black? Are you white? Or are you Asian? And I just think people should keep in mind the people being discriminated against who brought this case is an Asian kid. They, because so many Asians work so hard in school and they have that in their culture. That's what they want to do. They all want to be valedictorians. And the results are pervasive. Great. And you know what it's great for? America. Because the smartest people get the best jobs, who create the best businesses, who hire the most people to keep us number one because we're a free market, entrepreneur-driven country. So to me, I think we're at the place where people just want the best student. Now, I'm doing this thing on Teddy Roosevelt and Booker T. Washington. Guys born a slave at nine years old. We see a separate but equal and the horror of what took place uh, through the turn of the century. I do. I am totally cognizant of that. It just come off Frederick Douglass uh, spending two and a half years studying his life. This guy was beaten, had to escape, and he was a fugitive. So I knew where America was. I'm not closing my eyes to past generations, but I'm opening them up to 2023. And I'm saying game on. There's inequities in life like there are. And if there's schools discriminating, I want them highlighted. But for the most part, they want the best students. They're going to produce the best alumni. They're going to produce the best contributions because they're going to have the best success. They want to say, Sid Rosenberg, you want to go to a communication school? The, num- the host of the number one show in the number one market is Sid Rosenberg. Go to my school. And that helps that school. So going around checking boxes and and you have a hundred uh, valedictorian African-American kid that gets into Harvard on merit. And people watch him on campus and they say he got in. They assume he got in because of affirmative action. That's not fair to that kid. I must tell you that every time you use me in an example and you're complimentary, good, right? I want to kiss you. I swear to God, I really do. Right. I oh, jot stuff down. Too. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I think it does well. 60 we seconds out. to go. I got to get uh, your take on this. The great Brian Kilmeade. Uh, I saw some of Ron DeSantis, your guy, on with uh, Jesse Waters I'm last night. I know. He's not your guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brian, he's boring. Boy, and I had an opportunity last night to go out to Bedminster. I turned Donald Trump and Carrie Lake down because I had my red carpet premiere for my new TV series, Gravesend, which is going to be amazing. Me, Chaz really? Palminteri, yeah, Andrew Dice Clay, Armand DeSante. I swear to God, it was an unbelievable event, and they played the first two episodes. I'm in both. It looks great. So I turned down Trump. But on a serious note, uh, your guy, DeSantis, he's boring. He's boring. Uh, what do you want him to do? You want him to sing? Well, I want him to do something. I, he's not, I'm not saying he's, he's, he's not he's, my guy. I'm that's why, that, that's why that's why he's down by forty points or thirty points because he's a smart guy. He's got good policies. He's got zero charisma, Brian. Zero. Well, I don't know. Uh, charisma also could be uh, being direct. 
He said, listen, I, one of the big stories he said yesterday, they said, you know, Trump thinks you're disloyal. And he goes, really? I helped him a lot in 2016. I helped him a lot in 2020, especially in Florida. I helped him a lot in his policies. I was the first one to stick up for him when I realized the Russia situation was a hoax. And he knows that. That's how I got his attention to begin with. Uh, it's I'm not running against him. I'm running to help the country. I'm like, that's a pretty good answer. And I don't know. You know, let's see what happens. All I can tell you is he's the only one in double digits. Yeah. I think Trump is running his best campaign to date. Uh, I think he's got his best team. They're very stable. They're very organized. I can't believe what I'm getting. And you get them, too, in these text messages. When things come out, they actually help me in some stories. I'm like, okay, I did not know that. Boom. That instead of just being, you know, my guy is great or my woman's perfect. They're actually throwing news stories out to us, which is fantastic. He's winning by 30, but they just threw another. They might be giving him another 45 charges in the document case. So that that's what they're all hoping for. They are hoping that these legal cases stop the Trump yeah, train. Good luck. Yeah, the, every time they indict him, they add more counts. He gets he better numbers, up. yeah. Uh, so give me on the way out of here, Brian. Again, that great show, One Nation, 8 p.m. tomorrow night, every Saturday night on Fox News. Who's stopping by this week? Okay, uh, I'm going to bring back Dr. Drew and, and Rob Snyder, as I told you. Uh, but I'm going to lead with Gary Sinise. I'm thinking Fourth of July. Why, can oh, we, why can't we can't recruit anymore? Awesome. I'm off this patriotism poll, which talks about only 38% of the country are really proud of our country. How do we get that back? I got three outstanding historians. And I got uh, Shelby Steele. I have Douglas Brinkley. And I have Dr. Wilford Riley of Chicago wow. State. Yep. And we're gonna and we're just gonna talk about, you know, we're as a country. I went back and I looked at what Benjamin Franklin's greatest fear uh, was for our country, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, as well as George Washington. It's amazing the issues that he were they worried most about. We have in front of us from debt to defense on down to education. They all thought if we're not educated, we're screwed. If we run up too much debt, we're toast. If we don't uh, put money into defense, we're going to be attacked. These are the same issues. Don't be worried. We just have to decide to attack them. Just know they're not unique. Our founding fathers knew it. So identify it and attack it. That should be our approach. That's what Americans do. Unbelievable. I can't wait to watch that show. That's a great job. Brian Kilmeade, One Nation, 8 p.m. tomorrow night on Fox News. Of course, uh, this morning, Fox and Friends on Fox News. And uh, after me, every morning, 10 a.m., right here on WABC. Great talent, great guy. Happy Fourth of July, Brian. You're a great American. I love you, pal. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thanks for the ticket to your premiere yesterday. That would have been great. I would have loved to have gone, but I guess I'm not Italian enough to go. Only half Italian. That's right. I can't go to this. Yeah, yeah. By the way, Unbelievable. half Italian is more Italian than I am, but I continue yeah, to play what mobsters. What going on? I should be in that. You're not. I know. Let's see if we can do for season three, okay? We'll talk. Okay. <laughs> All right, go buddy, have him. a great weekend. There he is, folks. 10 o'clock after me every weekday, Fox and Friends, One Nation, Brian Kilmeade. We'll take a short break. When we get back, he was a superstar quarterback at University of Miami, won a championship, beat Nebraska, went out to have an amazing NFL career between the Cleveland Browns and the Miami Dolphins. My old buddy Bernie Kosar has resurfaced. We'll talk to Bernie next.
77 WABC. This is Sitting Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's bring in Bernie Kosar, former Cleveland Browns quarterback. Bernie, thank you so much for joining us. You know, whether you call it CTE, when we, we're dead or have passed, or TBI, traumatic brain injury, now we're alive. Some of those traumatic brain injuries, um, fencing, midbrain disorders, it's incredibly tragic. Not only what's happening with ex-NFL players, but what's happening with youth and, and younger people and not just in, in, the, in the sport of football. This, this concussion issue, this traumatic brain injury, God, we're seeing it with so much of our military, so much of our youth, that it's such an issue that's um, mainly because of uh, the effects on myself, um, something, of, of course, near and dear to me right now, and trying to find a, a alternate outcome other than some of the ways that, unfortunately, us NFL guys have been passing with this traumatic brain injuries that result in ultimately what Dr. Chris has been researching so much, the CTE. Hey. <laughs> Three, four! Three, four! Yeah, a little change of pace here. We've been talking about the Supreme Court all morning and Eric Adams and Trump and Biden. I want to get to Bernie in a second. The um, the big story today is that Geraldo Rivera, you know, Geraldo Rivera paid my way back to New York, and he was very, very good to me. I want to make that very clear. When he was doing middays here at WABC, he was uh, very friendly with a, a radio host in Florida named Joyce Kaufman who's still my friend today, and she worked at my political sister station. I was on 640 Sports. She was on 850. Eventually, I kind of worked at both. And uh, Geraldo would come down to do shows, and him and uh, Murray, what, what, what Murray, what's, uh, yeah, Marty, Marty Berman. Geraldo was great to me, and then uh, I ended up replacing Geraldo, me and Bernard here in New York. And I've seen him on occasion. He's been very nice. Some of you folks out there hate him because I guess he does represent the liberal part on Fox News. But they uh, kicked him off the five yesterday, so we quit the whole damn network. So all morning long, they've been doing this tribute. Judge Janine, Sean Hannity, uh, of course, the uh, the uh, Fox and Friends folks saying goodbye to Geraldo Rivera. I think Geraldo may join us on Wednesday. But uh, either way, he was good to me. I wish him the best of luck. So let me uh, go back to 1984. I'm looking at colleges. I spent half my life in Florida when I was a kid. Uh, kind of my second home, Hallandale. I was a Hurricane fan, and I watched uh, this kid, number 20, Bernie Kosar, go out and beat the Nebraska Cornhuskers. What a team they had. Tom Osborne, the head coach, Turner Gill, Mike Rogier, Irving Fryer. And this kid, Kosar, who I thought was Jewish, was outstanding. And he won the national championship, and that's why I went to Miami back in 85 because of Bernie. Now, Bernie moved on and had this great NFL career at the Cleveland Browns. Should have gone to Super Bowls, but Ernest Beiner fumbled, and Marty Schottenheimer wasn't a very good coach, God rest his soul. But he went out to also back up guys like Aikman in Dallas, Marino in Miami, had a great NFL career. But Bernie suffered a lot of hurt along the way, over 100 concussions. Now, I got to tell you, when I was a host down in Miami, Bernie Kozar came. We became very, 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 very close. He was lovely to me. I'll never forget going to the Miami-Florida State game with him, Larry Coker, meeting us in the middle of the field. And uh, he would co-host shows with me. And he's a brilliant guy, but I knew he was hurting back then. And I lost contact with Bernie since I came back to New York. And I'm watching Fox News a couple days ago, and there he is, Bernie Kosar. 
talking about something near and dear, not just NFL families, but, as he said, military and others, and that is the rapidity of these brain issues. So here he is, a legitimate friend of mine for 20 years, a great NFL quarterback, tremendous college quarterback, and an even better person, my friend Bernie Kosar. Good morning, Bernie. Good morning, Sid. God, I'm almost speechless after that awesome introduction. <laughs> and and actually, how appropriate coming on today, and you're coming with the intro of our good friend Geraldo. And um, Geraldo and Erica here in Cleveland, where I'm calling from, um, you introduced me to, and we've become great friends over the years. Wow. So, Is yeah. that right? You know, it's funny. By the way, Danielle just said hello to you. Danielle loves you, too, uh-huh. and... I know you love her, I love too. You, I love you, Sid, but Danielle even more so. <laughs> and, to see that, and to see that you're missing a Yankees perfect game because yes. Gabriel's playing basketball has shown how uh, you have matured thank over you. the years. Thank that you. That is so awesome. Well, that's a lot of that's because of Danielle. But what's funny is when you and I became friendly, and I introduced it to a lot of people, I you know I actually brought you to the very last ever uh, a screening of uh, The Sopranos. The Sopranos. Yes, I took you to meet Stephen yeah. Van Zandt. I even took you, not Dan Marino, but you, the very next night to Danny DeVito's new restaurant in Miami, and you sat with the whole cast. An honor, an honor to go with Sid Rosenberg. You're like, <laughs> I'm like the security. I'm like the security guy for you. <laughs> well, not down Dan, there. Not, Dan, it, 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 I'm Dan, glad to hear Dan, that down in Miami, you're still a legend. I'll never forget, Bernie, when I got to the, um, boy, it's odd saying Bernie, my, my partner, Bernie, you passed away. But I'll never forget, uh, Bernie, when I went to Miami. And the first thing I did, my mom and dad took me to the bookstore. And they walked into the bookstore, Bernie, and I saw at the rack, by the register, was buying books, was a Sports Illustrated for the week. And how ironic, the day I get to Miami, the Sports Illustrated cover was a young quarterback for the Dolphins named Dan Marino and a number 20 quarterback for the Hurricanes. That was you. That was an iconic Sports Illustrated cover, yes? Uh, you're dating yourself. That that was uh, that was one of the the pictures there where Dan Marino and me. And it was the first time I got a chance to meet him, and the honor of being a kid from Youngstown, Ohio, to to get a chance to be on Sports Illustrated cover with Dan Marino. And then we did our photo shoot at the Key Biscayne that morning, and they 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 were giving us um, champagne, Don Perignon. For an eighteen eighteen year old, the Sports Illustrated people. This is before. This is before them. I guess the Me Too, and you're not allowed to serve underage kids drinking in that. So none of those, all those Sports Illustrated pictures from that cover, wow. none of those were from the afternoon. Oh, that's funny. And then of course uh, we'll get to your brain stuff in a second. But you had those great years in Cleveland, and you really outplayed Elway in a lot of those games. But uh, misfortune uh, accompanied you along the way, so you never really got the big shot in the Super Bowl as a Brown, but. You went on to, of course, back up Troy Aikman in Dallas. And then talking about Marino, you would go on eventually become a Dolphin, back up Dan Marino, and you were the guy, Bernie, you, who drew up the play, the fake spike play, where Dan Marino threw the game-winning touchdown to Ingram to beat the Jets. That was your call, right? You know, to, yes, to be able to come up with that uh, fake spike play, Pete Carroll and Boomer Esiason, I don't think are very festive, and, and the Jets fans <laughs> for coming up with that. Um, to, to have done that in 1986, 
the Cleveland Browns were playing the New York Jets in Cleveland in one of that Mark Gastineau double overtime game. And that was the first time I attempted to do that fake spike spike play. But the Jets weren't in press coverage, so it ended up being a out route that I threw in the second quarter of that. I had practiced that everywhere I went from 1986 to 1994, but the situation never came up in a game uh, where the situation was that perfect for it. And I wasn't the, I was a starting quarterback. The Jets fans probably don't want to hear me on the show for the 1986 <laughs> double overtime victory. Yeah. <laughs> Couple with it took almost eight and a half more years. Practiced it every day with every team I was at, whether it was the Cleveland Browns with Marty Schottenheimer, Bud Carson, then Bill Belichick to get released to go down to the Dallas Cowboys and have that implemented into the Dallas Cowboys system for the 1993 uh, Cowboys Super Bowl team that we had. That situation never materialized till the following year with the Dolphins and Dan Marino up at the Meadowlands. And there was a rookie cornerback in Aaron Pryor, who is an awesome NFL cube uh, cornerback, who's become a defensive coordinator in the league. He was a rookie at that time. And Mark Ingram, the wide receiver, it was just a perfect setup. And they yep. just yep. – And by the way, Ingram, Ingram, as you know, was a major part of my giant team that beat the Buffalo Bills to win Super Bowl twenty five. In fact, he may have made the play of the day, getting extra yardage on a high settler completion to win that game. Last one, though, on the Jets. You keep talking about that game because the Jets were 10-1 and that year. Wesley Walker, Altoon, Ken O'Brien, they were killing everybody. They did uh, suffer losses to the end of the season, and they did lose to you guys – double overtime in Cleveland in the playoffs, but you told me in Miami on the air, will you continue to say this or deny it now, that the only time in your NFL career that a defensive lineman hit you and you actually made duty in your pants, it was Mark Gastineau. No, actually, it was that was the first time I was unconscious oh. on the field. And he and I uh, and for young kids out there, careful playing football, wear a mouthpiece. I did not wear a mouthpiece because I talked too much. I was audibling. That was the first time I got my back teeth knocked out. Oh my god! Um, and I ended up swallowing one of them, caught oh. another one on uh, before I went down, and then was laying there down ten points, thinking. My God, and then I see the uh, I see the rough in the quarterback call, and that was the whole game with the Jets. Yeah, that was the, that was it. I killed Gasnow on the Jets. So who was the guy that made you crap your pants? Um, I, that did no. That was when somebody actually got too personal and tried to and bit me down there. <laughs> oh okay. my God. during a, a post. I know this. This will sound like I'm embellishing or that I'm drinking again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there some of the old some of the old school things that happen at the bottom of the pile absolutely were yeah, true and I know things, things I, I remember I remember Ben Dreith once said with Jim Kelly giving him the business down there and you went through that quite a bit Bernie Kozar but I do want to get to the uh the conversation you have about 4 minutes to go Bernie I'm going to bring you back to okay. football um what you talked about on Fox News you suffered over 100 concussions when I was friends with you down in Miami years ago you kept going to Tampa, these other places. You were desperate to find somebody to help you because you're a brilliant guy, as my audience can, can hear right now. But you knew you were going through some issues. What's changed? Wow. So 
um, Sid, awesome memory of you. You were there at the beginning of the journey when myself, Dave Duris, and Junior Seau, we were trying to figure out what was happening. Let me stop you one more time. The two guys you just mentioned, Dave Durson and Junior Seau, both dead, shot themselves to death in suicides, suffering what Bernie is talking about right now. Go ahead. Yeah, and so many times back then, and even as way less today, but back 10 and 15 years ago, so many people were saying we're fabricating it, we're making it up, it's all in our head, we just do it for attention, and we didn't, there wasn't as much awareness for that. Unfortunately, those guys knew, knew, like I knew what was happening, and and ended up shooting themselves in their heart to save their brains for that research to ultimately would ended up becoming diagnosed as CT and stuff. But to your point, I was, I've had 40 surgeries, 80 broken bones, hundred plus concussions, almost 14 seizures. My last couple seizures, I was in a coma for 72 and 96 hours. Oh. I've been since I retired in 1997. I didn't really do any medications, pills, pain pills when I played, except Except when the Dolphins and I had some of the some of the same doctors that Tua had in 2022, I um, I had in 1994 doing um, some of the things that that happened like that. So trying to figure out a way to get healthy. Four years ago, diagnosed with five years left of cognitive brain function. So Sid, like you had mentioned, and I had mentioned with. Some of my ex-teammates and guys like Dave and Junior, Junior in particular, we were looking for alternate holistic ways of therapy and treatment because to get away from pills. And I had been medicated since 97, but probably over 50 type pills a day. And after my last seizure in 2017, after being in the coma for 96 hours, the doctor came in and said, and goes, hey, man, you're really tough. You're doing great keep up with your prescriptions. I'm like, bro, you're killing, you're killing me. And I had already started that IV therapy that I'd been thinking about, but it became um, really big. And with the juicing, uh, Vitamix, food is your medicine, IV therapy. And I haven't done a pill in five and a half years and been able to, I actually think, be able to slow down or at least, um, 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 I, I think, reverse some of the cognitive decline you remember, Sid, when we were doing the show 10 years ago, the inability to enunciate, articulate, communicate any multiple syllable words was a massive challenge for me. So the ability now to be here this morning and be excited to do this and be able to um, not have that anxiety and be able to communicate a message. And I don't say that to brag, bro, you know, but I really say that with there was this issue before COVID, and this just just not for us football players. This is a systemic thing throughout society now, and I'm not here to brag about it, but I am here to say that there is hope and there is ways to come out the other side of this. And I'm not saying this to promote or to sell sell anybody anything, but there really is a message now and a way of hope. So if people have some of these issues. Feel free to follow me and join me on my community as I try to holistically help people, you know, not have to suffer through that that decade of how I felt in my 40s and 50s. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm crying. <laughs> um, 
because I got to know you very, very well, Brody, very well, um, from the studios to your house um, in, in um, Weston to just uh, so many nights and Danielle and what you went through even with your family. And, and to hear you today sound like this, you've always been a brilliant guy. I've always said of all the players, and I've met a lot over 25 years, I don't think I met a player smarter than you. And I, I knew that even when you had difficulties 10, 15 years ago, but you sound great today. And the only promise I want from you is that, A, you continue to do whatever you're doing right now, and, B, during the season you come on, and, and I don't care if you follow every game or not, just talk to me and stay in touch because I really do love you, Bernie Kozar, and I'm happy for you. I love you, brother. Call me anytime for anything. And I, I've been creating and, and talking about this message for people out there. It's not just because of the University of Miami. We say you matter for people out there. That's we awesome. care about you. That's we awesome. love you, brother. I love you, you too. Yeah, thank you. You matter too. There he is, folks. Champion quarterback at University of Miami. A champion with the Brown, with the Dolphins, the Cowboys, and the Browns. And most importantly, a champion in life. My friend, NFL great Bernie Kosar. Not even close to being done. I mean, I should be three hours of unbelievable radio, but. Michael Goodwin, great columnist, New York Post. Chris Marmondo, great actor, Gravesend. Thomas Kniff, great attorney for Daniel Penny. All that still to come. Fourth and final hour is next. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Okay, first, if you're going to ask a question, don't point at me and don't be disrespectful to me. I'm the mayor of this city, and treat me with the respect that I deserve to be treated. I'm speaking to you as an adult. Don't stand in front like you're treating someone that's on the plantation that you own. Give me the respect I deserve and engage in the conversation. Up here in Washington Heights, treat me with the same level of respect I treat you. So don't be pointing at me. Don't be disrespectful to me. Speak with me as an adult because I'm a grown man. I walked into this room as a grown man, and I'm going to walk out of this room as a grown man. I answered your question. Daniel Penny's attorney, my dear friend Thomas Knipp, will join us at 940. And a really terrific actor, Gravesend. He's done a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Chris Marmondo live in studio. That was Eric Adams, and uh, he's lost me. So that's it. 
I'm done. I texted him, Happy Father's Day. Never got back to me. I don't care about that. But this uh, this thing that he does where if you disagree with him, you're a racist, calling out an 80-plus-year-old lady who turns out to be a Holocaust survivor. I'm done. I don't have to like anybody, folks. I go, well, you have to like him. He's all we got. Shut up. I don't like Joe Biden. He's all I've got right now. He's horrible. I don't like him. I don't like Alvin Bragg. I don't like Letitia James. And these days, I don't like Eric Adams. But I do like my next guest. He's a tremendous, not good, he's great, columnist, New York Post. And he's equally as good on radio. Joins me now, well, basically weekly. And uh, that, of course, (coughs) excuse me, I'm actually choking right here. My friend Mike. Michael, good morning, buddy. How are you? Good morning, Chad. Thank you. Well, it's always uh, great to have you on the program. It really is. And you you heard my... um, you heard my introduction there, Mike Goodwin. You heard me talk about uh, Mayor Eric Adams. And, you know, it's not the first time. It's not the second time. It's not the third time. It's like the fifth time, whether it's Governor Abbott, he's a racist, whether it's a guy up in Rockland County, he's a racist, the white cops were crackers. What the hell is going on here? Well, it seems to be just beneath the surface and a little provocation, and it comes out. Um you know, I'm reminded of Kurt Flood, the uh, ex-great uh, uh, late now uh, baseball player, who once said that, um, I don't mind that the good Lord made my skin black. I just wish he had made it a little thicker. <laughs> uh, I like that. Yeah. And and I think uh, Mayor Adams could use some thicker skin, because if you're going to sort of see race behind every argument, every criticism, you're not going to get very far. And you might intimidate people into silence, uh, but they're not going to vote for you if they feel that's your M.O. And uh, I think the mayor needs to recalibrate. Um, Look, the the issues in the city are so big um, and so overwhelming that he needs everybody to be pulling in the same direction, as many people as possible, and this is the kind of thing that does not endear him to to most people who are in the center who don't see things through race. And some people may say, well, you know, look at her attitude. She was wagging her finger or whatever. But it's still incumbent on the mayor. He's the one who's got the power. Right. He's the one who needs to have the patience. Uh, the mayors and governors and presidents going around snapping at people. It can be entertaining occasionally if you know how to do it and when to do it, but uh, just sort of flying off the handle yourself and showing your own anger um, to somebody. The the, the power imbalance is so great here. You know, it's like like firing a howitzer at an ant. Right, exactly. And and to further your point again, Michael Goodwin, first of all, Kurt Flood, for you folks that don't follow baseball, St. Louis Cardinals, He's the reason why we've got free agency in baseball today. So he's a huge name, actually. Yeah. But um, but getting back, you know, it's not just snapping off on people. Trump does that all the time. It's the race card. I mean, Mike, if there's a, a, a white guy up there, and every time some black person says something critical and he calls him the N-word, or he tells him to sit down and shut up, black this, black that, he wouldn't last a day. And we all are sick and tired of people using race and gender and all that stuff to either further themselves or or be critical. And we're sick and tired of the double standard. Why can Eric Adams call all of us white people racist, but a white person says one thing about a black person and they're canceled forever? Right. Well, look, I mean, that's that's the moment we're at in society and the Supreme Court decision yesterday 
on, um, you know, it's being called affirmative action, but let's face it, it wasn't really affirmative action. It was, it was a form of racism. Uh, picking people on the basis of race is racism. And that's what uh, was happening in many colleges. And, look, there's always a loser when you do this. And in this case, of course, the, the loser were, were largely Asian-American students who were uh, too, too good at uh, their application process, too good of students. And so the, the schools looked for some way to have more black faces in their, in their student body. And so they basically discriminated. They, they downplayed grades. They said Asians were not socially uh, comfortable, were not socially adept. Uh, they had all of these stereotypes in mind. So when you start playing race games like that, you end up being a racist. I mean, you, you do racist things because you're trying to advance one race over another. And the only way to do that in a system like college education is to downplay the achievements of others as racist. So it, it's an endless knot. If you try to untangle it, you'll never get there. That's why you, you've really got to look at people as people and not start judging people on the color of their skin as, as Mayor Adams did. As he does, not did, he does it all the time, and that's uh, there's another another argument or discussion which I keep talking about here, which is enough of Gay Pride Month, do it in a day, enough of African American History Month, do it in a day, because the more we do that, the more we actually do separate people and act as if somebody's different, I don't get it, we should be equal, we should be the same, you don't have white man day, there shouldn't be a gay day, a black day, any of this nonsense, uh, a month, I should say. So if you want to really, really bring people together, let's get closer to that. But uh, you talked about all the issues in New York City, and you're right about that. One of those you just wrote about, Michael, could win great, great column, and it reads, congestion pricing scheme is just another pothole on the road to New York City's ruin. Now, we know the governor doesn't care. She's up in Buffalo going to Bill's football games, couldn't care less about Manhattan or Brooklyn, but she's going to get away with this. Uh, Michael, what do you think about that? Well, we'll see. Um, she may get away with it, but it's going to damage the city. Um, and you know what's, what's interesting, too, Sid, is that this is another example of the state effectively taking over the city. These are city, these are, these are city uh, blocks, city, city boundaries that the state is now going to tax. And the state is going to take that money and use it for a state agency. So I would think on that basis alone, the MTA, I would think on that basis alone, Mayor Adams would say, hold on. These are our streets. New York City owns these streets. You can't tax them and take away the money uh, because you're leaving less money. If people don't come into New York City because of this, and there's no doubt there will be a reduction in traffic. No question about it. People will be priced out of coming. But then they're also not going to come to the museums. They're not going to come to the theater. They're not going to come to the restaurants. They're not going to do any shopping because they're not here. So. Have they have they considered the entire consequence of what they are doing and why they're doing? I would say absolutely not. I agree. They're just they, they can't figure out how to save the MTA. They can't get riders to pay the fare. Right. Up to one third of bus riders are skipping the fare. One third. One in three. You've got 
uh, fare beating costing the agency $650 million last year. And this is how they're going to make up the difference, is taxing motors who come into Manhattan. It's, it's ridiculous. Hmm. That is a great point, Michael Goodwin. About 60 seconds to go. The budget, $107 billion. I know the, the both named Adams, ironically, the city council leader, Agent Adams, and the mayor, Eric Adams, going back and forth. Any real opinion on this $107 billion new city budget? Well, look, I, uh, you know, the, the budget savants who look, look at these things carefully, it's not just what you're spending now. It's what you're building into a base that you're going to have to spend every year. And, of course, that base will increase with not just inflation, but with changing circumstances. So, and and what, they, what those savants tell us is this is a train wreck, that the city is way <laughs> out over its skis in terms of what it will be able to afford next year and the year after. That, again, it's, it's, ba- it's built in assumptions that are far too rosy and then it's going to have to make the hard choice then. Of course, smart thinking would say, well, make, make half of the hard choice now. You know, don't spend it all now. Pay down some debt. Put, it, put some in a rainy day fund. Don't put yourself so far out there that you're going to need a miracle next year and the year after. And, again, this, this is another factor that comes back to the congestion pricing. The city is going to lose sales taxes, it's going to lose all kinds of income from congestion pricing. The state's going to take the money, but those people are not going to be here to spend it. And so I, I think that we really are on a path to ruin. I mean, there's still a lot of COVID money sloshing around in city and state budgets from the federal government, uh, but it's going to run out. And the, the, the signs of people not coming into the city already, half-empty office buildings, uh, it's still amazing. You walk in some of the best areas in Manhattan, Madison Avenue, even Upper Broadway, and you see vast stretches of empty storefronts. I mean, this is all – the city still has not recovered from COVID. And so all of this expenditure, all of these new taxes, it's just going to make it that much more difficult. I got to tell you, I love your columns, and I love when you come on this show. I know I say it every time, Michael, but I'm sincere. I mean it. You are just such a smart, great New Yorker. Thank you for the New York Post stuff. Thank you for coming here. Enjoy the 4th of July. Let's do it again very soon, Michael Goodwin. Thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure, Sid. Thank you. Thank you, you, Mike. Me, too. I I love this guy. Michael Goodwin, he is great. He may be the smartest guy in New York, I swear to God. He's a great writer, and he's great on this show, too. I hate to tell Mark Simone he's better here, but he is. <laughs> we'll take a short break, my friend, the terrific actor Chris Marmondo from Gravesend. He made a he's great still- point. He made a great point about pulling in the same direction. Yes, that yes, such a great point. How he said that. Yes, the, the city has so many issues. It's there's, there's no way that's so much. Even for any one mayor, it needs everybody to pull in the same in direction. the same direction. That's how bad it is. He's guy. right. He's he's oh right. And God, and, he and Eric Adams continues to alienate people and. And polarized people doesn't make any sense to me. Chris Momondo is next.
Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. So yesterday about this time I had live in studio the writer, creator, and star of Gravesend, William DeMeo, his son Christian DeMeo, and my dear friend Peter Gordio. And you guys know, of course, I went to the Gravesend red carpet premiere last night. If you see my pictures, Instagram, at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney, Facebook, Sid Rosenberg, Twitter, at Sid Rosenberg. I brought a bunch of pictures last night, me and Armand DeSante, uh, me and um, who else did I put up there last night? Uh, Leo Rossi, William DeMeo, Bo Deedle, uh Chuck Zito, a whole bunch of uh, of great folks. And I talked about this all morning long. I missed Donald Trump. I was invited to Bedminster last night. I didn't make it because of the Gravesend premiere. But what a great night. Here we had a movie playing and all these major stars. We're not talking about being major. Chaz Palminteri and Armand DeSante and Dice and, and Chris Marmando. And, and they're in the, the audience. And every time they'd go to a scene and they'd freeze the face and they would type the character's name on the first one of the new season, Dave Busco, they would go crazy in the audience. It was like playing a home game, Michigan against Ohio State, except it was Chance Palminteri and, and Armand DeSante. And I'm going to say this, season one was good. The difference between season one and season two is comparing Mookie Wilson to Mickey Mantle in center field. This is an outrageous, unbelievable, every scene has somebody really famous. But I'm going to say this, too, not because he's sitting here. The guy that really keeps it together, besides Willie and the other, is Chris Marmondo. First of all, you know him from this show for years, coming out with me and Bernie for years, and me. He's a legitimate dear friend, his gorgeous wife, Nikki, and his uh, birthday, uh, his daughter's birthday today. So he's back in studio, the very talented Chris Marmondo. Good, did I, did I describe that correctly, Chris? You you just did it perfect. But Sid, you're always on the money. That's always on the money. <laughs> Thank you. So it is perfect the way you said it, and it, yes, it couldn't be more true. You know, for the for me, when they started season two, right, and it starts off. I don't want to give too much away, but you and Peter, you're a tough guy. <laughs> but uh, when we go to Miami, and you'll find out why we go to Miami. All these yeah. stuff. When you show up. And you were there with Willie, and you're driving, and he goes, I want you to drive again. It was kind of like Travolta and Kanicki in Greece, yeah. you know? And you're like, well, wait a second, Mikey's like, no, 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 no. And you get there, it's like providing the glue. I swear to God, I don't know if you realize, maybe you do, if you realize the immensity of your role and how great you are. That strip scene, too, in the strip joint with you and him, you're was, brilliant in that. That was on the Brilliant. Movie. You know, I... I'm the most critical on me. I will always say it. Oh, so I always say the same thing. My wife will vouch for this one. I'm so critical that I always say my famous my famous line. It's a remains to be seen. Everything is a remains to be seen because of me. Because I always say, oh, I could have did it different. I could have did it that way. But last night was something else. I actually was banging my wife on the left. What didn't sound too good. Whoa. I was, I was <laughs> yeah. hitting her leg on my on Hit my it. left. Calm down, Louis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was hitting my wife's leg, and I kept going, "Holy cow, this is on the money." I actually started even liking the way I was yeah. delivering lines, and I'm yeah. like, and the energy in the place. Gravesend season, season a uh, Gravesend series, season two. Let me tell you something. I can't wait. For this thing to go live. We don't know the exact time it's going live. Could be today. Could be today. Yeah. We're waiting patiently. And it was energy bound. Everybody, like you said, a star studded cast. And you know what? 
Everybody, like you just said, clapping along for everybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, Michelle, the producer, Will, they held and wore 9,000 hats. And to watch what they pulled off last night, Christian, William, Michelle, they pulled off. They just pulled it off. Yeah, amazing. No, they, you're they right. They pulled it you, off. You know, you're right. And uh, like like Chris just said, every scene every is scene. a big star. Yes. Every scene's a big star. You know, even my son, he's uh, he loves that Karate Kid show. He oh. loves the, the sequel, you know, yeah. Cobra Kai. And to see Marty Cole huh, playing great. an Orthodox Jew, yeah. fantastic, right? Yeah, I did the scenes with him, him yes. and his son Jesse. Yes. And uh, he was... Yeah, you're like, you don't be so disrespectful. I don't want to give too much away, yeah, yeah. but he was it's a good line. on the money, and it was funny because even the lines that I was delivering... I was actually laughing at them. Yeah. Because you forget sometimes. You're like, oh, I remember saying that. Well, now that you said that, I'm not going to feel guilty because I did a movie, you know, the movie Gemini Lounge. Yes. We had the screening just for the actors. Comes out August 14th. Okay. And to be honest, my wife and some are critical. I go, hey, hey, excuse me, Danielle Gabe. I've never been on a movie set before. I've been on TV, not movie. I'm in Los Angeles. Right. A little nervous, you know? Yeah. So when I was going there last night, I go, are you guys going to kill me again tonight? And they said, yeah, we don't think you're all that good. So I'm sitting there, and especially the tennis court scene with me and Dice. Unbelievable. Danielle's like, that is one of the great. And she goes, you were great. Unbelievable. And it was natural. So there's a difference. Anytime you go on a set, anytime you get behind the screen, I don't care who you are, you'll even know, you'll always know who is who is natural, who is prepared, and who is just saying their lines. Yeah. Saying their yeah. lines is not the way you do for when no. it comes to acting. you got to be prepared. you got to know a push-off, a pause, a simple look-off. You don't always have that. It was natural. Thank you. And I'll tell you something natural. else. It was also impromptu because, give a little bit away, when I start to teach Dice how to serve. Yeah, I loved it. That was not in the script. Okay, I, I did that it. myself. The and, move. And the thing okay. is over, and I go, wait a second. My first day of acting ever, I'm a nobody. They just allowed me to do that, and they kept it. Yeah. And I thought it came out really well. Oh, excellent. Do you do that excellent. a lot on, on the set? Do you do a lot of your own stuff? Yes, it just comes down to, like, especially with Will. Will... And I will sit and I'll go, okay, here's the scene. I'll always go off of uh, whatever it says in the script. But you know I could add a line or two that might just compliment. Yeah. Like when you're sitting there saying that it's in the it's in the trailer. And where I'm driving, I say, I got to tell you one thing. When we come back to our neighborhood, they're going to know we're back. And Great the next line. thing you know, that was a thrown-in line. Oh, you threw that in? Yeah, and he and says, I love it. That's and I a said, powerful yeah. line, man. Because Gaetano, who I am, comes home from jail. He is the right-hand man of, of Benny Z, which is Will DeMeo. He is the guy to him, and he is his friend. Yes. So there's the difference in the show, because he doesn't know who's surrounded. He's got guys here and there. He's got just got shot up. So from the last step, from the last season, so you don't really know who's your friend and not. And that's the that's the the purpose of this show. It shows you the truths, the behind the scenes, and the real truth yeah. on how gory and how you know. You keep your friends close, but you have right, you know, right. your enemies and, close. And you, and, you, that and you get the feeling watching the show, and our friend uh, Nunzi just checked in and said he loves you. Uh, King of William. Joe Espo sent his love, too. Oh, another good yeah. man, yes. He says he's doing good. He yeah, he's doing great, yes. Uh, all those guys love you, too. That's great. But you do get the feeling watching it that the character, I know he loves you in real life, but the star, Benny Z, really loves you. Like, you guys have yes. a great chemistry. Almost like Castellano and Bellotti. Now, they died together. Hey. Maybe you guys will, too. But then guess what? <laughs> they died together. Right. At least you knew they went down together. There's nothing wrong with that part. No, you got to go. You know, it's death before the sun or yeah. anyway. Yeah. So it's it's at least you knew when and where. But when you do break it down, it becomes more of emotional. Because even in the one, you know, there's a few scenes where I say, you forget. I know you since we're kids. Yeah. 
So you can't tell me, you know, and it's a lot like the street. When you break down the street, there are certain things you could talk one-on-one, and there's certain things you can never talk in front of a group. And anybody and everybody knows what I mean by that. So when you are one-on-one with a dear friend, you can say, listen, you can tell anybody else what you want. You can't tell me this. Right. Because I know you too well. We go since we're kids. And when you go since your kids, there's a bigger difference of an alliance. There's a bigger difference of love. Regardless if we'll argue, we'll scratch, we'll, we'll hit, we'll scrap. It doesn't matter. When it comes to old school friends, you could argue with each other, but at the end of the day, you're back to being brothers. This is why I believe you are one of the most, if not the most believable character on the show. And I say I that, that with all, all seriousness is because of your life, because you've gone away, like a lot of these characters have. Yes. And by the way, you've come out better than before. Amen. Um, you, you've, you've had the streets. You've been on the streets. Absolutely. Um, everybody knows Chris Momondo from every Williamsburg pizzeria to the fa- fancy restaurants in, in New Jersey. You know, yes. They all know Tell Chris Momondo. Pizza. We, right. my they stay. all know yes. you so, and love you. So being you've done it, and I'm not saying you have to do certain things. Like Mike Francesa one time yelled at... Uh, at uh, somebody on the air, excuse me, O.J. McDuffie, my old partner, Dalton wide receiver, yelled at Mike Francesa once on the air, who's a guest of mine in Miami, and said, you really can't talk football you never played. And I stuck up for Mike. That's ridiculous because you don't have to always do it. But, but if you have done it, it does add a certain authenticity. Absolutely. Chris Mormando, that's you. Absolutely, and thank you so much because when you are on set and you have lines, remember, they're words. But how do you make those words come really true? It, it, it goes by experiences. And if you have someone, I have dear friends of mine that I truly love them. So if I say I love them, it's not, oh, I love you, I love you. I love, no, I love them. So they are friends that you sit there and say, I ride and die. You, you go to the, you know, to the, from the womb to the tomb. That's the way it works. And it's not cliche to say it and it's not fake. It might be, you know, they say every other rat's got a debt before the sonotat. Okay, every other, but that means there is the other one that does that goes for, uh, full throttle. Right, there are guys sitting right now in the can right now that they could vouch. They say, no, 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 they are the truth. They are the ones that went to the end. Whether it's a lifer, whether it's five, ten, it doesn't matter. Everything's relative, you know. But there are guys that are sitting there, but they go to the end. But when you have friends growing up that you truly love, no, it ain't about now. I'm gonna go fight on the street. No, it's about true love, true friendship comes in the heart. That's why my film, Judge No Book is exactly what it's well, about. Well, tell me about that. I bumped into a guy just last week who said, you know, I actually saw your friend Chris. I forgot if he said he was in the film or he actually saw some of the film. Tell us about that. Okay, so Judge Notebook, we shot it in February. It was a film that I wrote 12 years ago. So I wrote it 12 years ago. I produced it. I directed it. And I'm one of the leads in it. And we start another great cast we got. We shot 14 days. We still got two more days to go. Um, is it, it on, on Brooklyn? Is it on location? It's on location. We shot at Brooklyn. We shot at Bronx. Uh, I'm sorry, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island. We shot it in upstate New York. Um, great spot. But does it take place in it's one Brooklyn. place? It's a it's Brooklyn, Brooklyn spot. Okay, gotcha. Yes. Right. So this film was written 12 years ago by myself, and it just obviously just came now. And you know what? So anybody that hears something, sometimes you just can't write something and think you're going to go produce it and direct it. It won't. Now, directing was the first time I ever did this. Wow. Some actors shied away from me for it. They didn't want it. They were like, wow, it's a first-time director. I totally understand. The ones that did and the ones that came, I stacked up on the cast, and it was a great cast. And I work with these people, these groups. I've worked with them over the last 10 years. So I had handpicked them throughout the years. And judge no book is exactly what it means. Don't judge this guy. Don't judge this Italian-American 
to think he only stays with Italian Americans. It's about the heart. It's about the look in the eyes, the true friendship, the true meaning, whether you're white, black. In this film, his best friend is an African-American growing up in a neighborhood that was in the 80s that was frowned upon. So like how would, do that? Like Howard Beach, for example. There you go. Right. And, and, and a lot of different, not just Howard Beach. A lot of different oh, neighborhoods. Bay Ridge. Ben- Bensonhurst. Benson all of it's where I'm from. Right. But you just sit there and say, now it's about where the heart's at. When you're right, then you're my friend. If you're wrong, I don't care what your, your nationality is. Yeah. If you're wrong, you're wrong. Right. That's it. You got to go. So when will that uh, film be in movies? Or well, it go straight it's a to streaming? Feature. It's a full feature. Um, I would say not to the theater. It would be going straight to streaming. Streaming. Um, we're in the edit form right now. We still, like I said, got to pick up a couple of days. And I told you, I don't just say to say it. I wrote the part for you, and it's going to be the nice, ready? You're the announcer while the radio kids have got the radio. That's your voice coming out. So am I doing this? Of course I, you I are. Have no idea. I don't it's know. It's because it's not ready to go yet. We got to do two days left. Well, thank you. Of course you. I, I never. Told you, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's great. I, I told you. I said I don't care. You're my. You're one of my. I got three dear, dear friends you're from that show. You're one of those of guys. Of well, thank you. Thank absolutely. you. Absolutely. I, I didn't know, but either way, it sounds like it's going to be great. And look, uh, Joe Esposito just said hello again. I love you. You're a season. When I met you, and, and we got about three minutes to go, okay. but I flew down to Miami. I was nervous. I didn't do this before. Yeah, you were good, though. Thank you. you. And I go into the trailer. Here we are. And uh, (laughs) there were two doors. One door was Dice's. Yes. And ours had two names on it. Yes. Go, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. And I walk in, and you're like ironing your pants. I go, this guy's already my type of guy, you know. <laughs> and uh, we spent the whole day together. You you actually calmed my nerves down quite a bit. That was a rough morning, as if you remember. I uh, do remember it all. Yeah, yeah, I remember it. You were great, and I'll never forget you for that. But you've done before this, you did that Channel 7 thing with uh, 50 Cent. Yeah, well, 50 Cent, Nicholas Pinnock. So that was ABC, a show called For Life. That was two years. That was 16 episodes out of the 23. That was where, I'll tell you right now, and I said it once before, Nicholas Pinnock was the one that taught me about energy, about taught me about uh, on the set, how to, how to never show um, a disappointment because you never know if you're ever coming back. He was right. And that, I've always been like that. And now I tell people, why are you getting mad? So we're running late. That's the business. It runs late because... This takes time. Yeah. Look at Gravesend. Gravesend, we started two years plus back. Yes. And now look, now it's here. And I will say it like this. First, Taylor Ann Mormando, my daughter, my baby girl, 24 years old, happy birthday. Oh. And my dear friend, James Chaffee, happy birthday, pal. Oh. You're an old one just like me with no hair. Uh. <laughs> now back to Gravesend. Gravesend, it's going to be something. Um, like you said, Chaz, Armand, William Forsythe, Dice, Vic. You, Leo, Bo. Bo, mine yesterday was on the Hilarious. Money. Oh, I Hilarious. was listening to laughing. Yeah. I spilled my yeah. coffee yeah. laughing. And Chuck Zito playing Chuck, a great oh, job. Chuck, I was just about to say yeah. him. Chuck is my boss, Carmine. Yeah. Unbelievable. Great. Will, Christian, Leo. I mean, Bruce, everybody. Huge names. Oh. Huge. Gina oh, Gershon. Gina Gershon. Fran Drescher. Mario Cantone. Joey Denofrio. Oh, Mario Cantone was hilarious. Unbelievable. Yeah. It was so. Steve Monterano came into it. I love Steve. It. Yeah. Loved yeah. it. So you have so many people there. So you just think you saw one and you're like, oh my God, look at this. Yeah. And then, holy, look at this. Look at that. Look at And it's, that's the beautiful. But Will, you got to tip your hat to them. The, the man took an independent show. And there we were last night. 
Louis Lombardi, who I used to talk to every single night, and I was mad he wasn't there last night. I was like, Lou, I want you at the carpet. He's in L.A. He goes, I can't make it. So I'm like, damn. I go, everybody, just all the names. Louis Lombardi, I was a fan yeah, of. Great guy, yeah. Forget about actor, it. Sopranos yeah, yeah, yeah. and Entourage yeah. and, and so many things. And Leo Rossi, too. Leo, what an actor. phenomenal. Please, the accused all the way back then. Oh. Well, so on the way out, for people that want to contact you, because you may not know this about Chris, but he's, he's a good to shimmer, which in Yiddish means he's a good soul. And there's a lot of stuff on his Instagram page that provides inspiration. There have been days yes. that I have not felt great, and I've watched Chris on Instagram, I swear to God. Thank and I'm you. like, you know what? Not all that bad today. I'll figure it out. So for folks who want to follow you, keep up with your stuff, where do they go? Go to my name. It's Chris underscore Mormando, M-O-R-M-A-N-D-O. And, yes, I also put up some videos the other day, one of me crying in the beginning because someone had thought, they're like, you know, Chris, you always got it all together. You always got it. It's always, I said, oh, really? You think it's that simple? Let me show you what I deal with in the morning. I go through my own battles as well. Yeah. It's nothing is what it seems, as we already know. Nothing. Yeah. I don't care what it looks like. Nothing is that simple. So you watch the videos. You get some inspiration. I'm doing more of the podcast. I'm going to be on a couple of more. You'll start to see more. I'm going to start to do my own podcast, hopefully very soon. About It's, called, it's going to be called Struggle Adversity. I'm going to be bringing on my own brother. I'm going to bring in on a dear friend of mine, Jen. I'm going to bring on people that went through struggles and love have it. went through the adversity and have beat the love adversity. It. You put it here, right up a podcast. I would love it. I'll talk to uh, Chad and uh, John Katsimatidis after the show. This is a great landing oh, space for you. I would love to. That yeah. would be, Sid, I'm telling you right now on WABC, I would love to. Okay. Not even question. I would love to. We'll make it happen. I right after the it. show, I swear, you're great. I mean this sincerely. I said to Danielle, I said, he's the glue. You're the glue. Graves and season Danielle two. Gabriel, I love uh, seeing great. them last night. He we plays... missed our Ava, though. We missed Ava. Yeah, no, she's in uh, South Carolina. Uh, Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. He, he plays Gaetano. He's Chris Momondo. He's a great actor, terrific guy. And uh, he'll be back again. We'll keep doing these Amen. every week throughout season two of Graves and Great to see you. Thank you very much, Sid. Always. My man. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Seventy-seven WABC. Well, it's been a great show. Really, has folks, Judge George Grasso, Curtis Sliwa, Andrew Giuliani, copping with President Trump as we speak. Arthur Idala, Norman Seabrook, Brian Kilmeade, Bernie Kosar, my dear friend, the great NFL quarterback, Michael Goodwin. And moments ago, Chris Marmond. I'm going to talk to Thomas Knippier in a second, Daniel Penny's attorney. But Chris has to say thank you to one more person. There is the one and only, my Aunt D. Aunt Diane Ernest. Aunt D, you are my godmother. I love you. And yes, I was talking about adversity. When I'm on my down mode and I have some down days, I hit her up. And she's like, all right, nephew, let's go. And I she gets it. me right back in track. There you go. So a shout-out to my godmother, Andy. I love you. All right, Chris Momondo, folks, he'll be back. He's going to take him to the back and talk to Chad and hopefully get this kid's podcast on our network. That's how much I love Chris. Tom Knips, a dear friend of mine, served our country proudly. Uh, ran, of course, from Manhattan DA. Did not win, but should have. Much better man and attorney than Alvin Bragg. But has been spending his time lately defending a real American hero here in New York. You know him, Daniel Penny. Thomas Kniff, good morning, buddy. Sid, good morning to you. Nice to have you back. You know, yesterday I spoke to a guy I know you know very well, Jason Goldman, involved in a very similar case. Jason's client, Jordan Williams, was defending him and his girlfriend on a train and he stabbed the uh, the bad guy, if you will, and he killed him. 
And uh, the bad guy was a lot like, uh, you know, uh, Jordan Neely, yelling and screaming and threatening people, making people miserable. Now, he physically went after Williams and his girlfriend. He did touch them. That's the only difference. But, but. He was acting crazy like Neely was, and so these people acted in self-defense. So I know you're happy for your buddy, uh, that attorney there, uh, Goldman, but is it rough for you, kind of bittersweet, that his client walked away and yours is still going through this nonsense? No, I mean, look, I'm very happy for for Jason Goldman. He's he's a great attorney. Um, I'm happy for his client. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm a criminal defense attorney first and foremost. Uh, yes, I'm a law and order guy, but I also believe everybody gets a, 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 the right to a zealous defense and, and justification is, is, uh, is uh, I said before, is, is old. The justification is older than our legal system itself. It goes back to ancient England, the inherent right to defend oneself. So I'm, I'm absolutely elated that justice was done there. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I want to see it done in this case, too. <laughs> uh, I have no doubt that it's going to be. It may take a little longer. Uh, and, you know, that's unfortunate. Uh, I'd rather my client not be here. But, you know, good, good, for, uh, good, good for Jason Goldman and his client in Brooklyn. Tell us about your day, though, a couple of days ago when, uh, you know, they got the, the uh, negligent homicide charge on top of the man two charge. And they unsealed, I guess, the indictment a couple of de- days ago, you guys. We're back in court, the grand jury. Tell us about uh, that. Whatever you can tell us, Thomas Kniff, tell us about that day. Yeah, you know, the day, you know, the arraignment uh, was really mostly a procedural formality. Um, You know, the way things work in New York is you're arrested. In this case, of course, we're hoping our client was never going to be arrested. We were told that, you know, hey, we're just going to keep this open as an investigation. And then all of a sudden we get a call and say, you know, hey, you got to surrender your client and be arrested. Okay, what are you going to say at that point, right? Um, (laughs) And the criminal court arraignment was really where, you know, the intrigue, if to the extent there was any, was we had to work out the bail package and so forth. Then it goes to grand jury. The grand jury indicts, which is something the grand jury typically does. And we got to the Supreme Court arraignment, but it was really, you know, a, a procedural thing because there was no issue as to bail anymore. Uh, the, the Judge Wiley, his staff, the court officers, you know, got us in and out of there in, in, in a matter of minutes. I kind of jokingly said to one of the court officers I knew on the elevator going down, I said, look, you know, we'd be a lot more profitable if you, if you did this for all our kids. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, right, right or wrong, definitely. I'd be in a different tax bracket. Yeah. Um, you know, you know so, so that's what it was. I mean, the, 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 I think the, the, the biggest thing now is that, you know, because we're past the Supreme Court arraignment, we actually start getting our discovery. Um, and, you know, they've been, the Manhattan DA's office has been rolling it out to us, um, or at least just started. It, it's a lot to download. It's a lot to get through. But now we could at least, uh, you know, even though we did a very thorough and fruitful investigation, pre-indictment using, you know, our own, you know, staff and our own team of investigators, you know, there's going to be a lot more that we, a lot more of a primary source documents, if you will, that we'll get through the discovery process. And we think that's only going to further cement our defense. And then do you start bringing in witnesses or, or I mean, I guess uh, te- people to testify, whether it's your own client or you've heard people like Bo Deedle on this show talking about, I put people in chokehold for 30 years as a cop or Curtis Sliwa. Is that all part of the next process? Does that yeah, happen? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, people talk about, I was on a, I was on a, another interview uh, earlier and, and people talk uh, about, you know, the legal defense fund and, and, you know, yeah, I mean, we, it, it's substantial and we couldn't be any more grateful for it. Certainly not my client who's a college student with no income. Right. Um, 
But, you know, keep in mind, you know, legal defense fund isn't just about paying the lawyers. You know, it's, it's a case like this, you know, you're dealing with experts. We still don't have the toxicology from the medical examiner's office. We have they have given the you autopsy. any indication when you're going to get that? Because I'm telling no, you that's a smoking you, gun. I know it. Yeah, no. I mean, the district attorney's office, you know, their line has been that, you know, there's a backlog at the ME's office, um, at the medical oh. examiner's office. And in, in fairness to... You know, Alvin Bragg's office. I mean, I know that to be true. Tom, this is the most high-profile case in the city right I, now. That's not I, true. I, yeah, I mean, look, you're not gonna you're not gonna get disagreement from me on that. Yeah. I, there's no reason why, in my opinion, a case like this can't be fast tracked. Uh, but you know, here we are. Um, but but my point is, you know, once we start getting that sort of material, we're gonna need you know toxicologists. We're gonna need uh, you know, forensic pathologists. We've already got you know some of them preliminarily on board, but all that you know, all that comes with a price tag. Um, you know, so but but the good news is, you know, now you know now that we we're, we're going to get discovery, you know, we'll we'll have a much more uh, you know comprehensive view of what the evidence uh, against our client is. But you know, we're we're, we're also at the same time, you know, we know what happened here, and and we know that uh, you know no matter what any of that stuff says that this was this was a an individual act re- uh, acted reasonably under the circumstances to defend himself and others, and that's the threshold in New York. Well, listen, like I, I say all the time, and you know I'm close. We've got the same friend, Joseph Tacopino, Arthur Idala, Jason, Alan Dershowitz, my own beautiful wife, Danielle, man. He could not find a better attorney than you, Tom Knipp, and your partner, Steve Razor. So there is no question in my mind it's going to go the right way, but I still find it to be really unsavory and leaving a bad taste in my mouth that he had to do any of this to begin with, and it's going on and on for months. So you're the right guy, and you're going to get the outcome he should get, but this city should be embarrassed that it's gone this far. With that said, I love you. Have a happy July 4th, and we'll talk again next week. How does that sound? Uh, absolutely, Sid. Happy July 4th. Always since, a, since I was a kid, it's always been my favorite holiday. Uh, let's everybody enjoy the weekend, and we'll get back to business after, you, uh, after you, the holiday. You know how you know he's sincere about being his favorite holiday, Tom Kniff? Because he served this country. So as I always say, Tom, on the way out, thank you for your service. It's been a privilege. <laughs> You're the best. Tom Kniff, everybody. Daniel Penny's attorney. And uh, he better win. He's going to win. He's going to win. But he better win. He better win. Hey, guys, what a show today. Two and a half hours sleep. But, man, did we put on a killer show. Lou Rufino, Justin Ellick, Noam Layden, our 37 guests. Everybody was great. Folks, I'm done. Have yourselves a a great weekend. My crew, all of us are going to be off until Wednesday, a well-deserved vacation for Lou, Justin, and Noam. We'll take off Monday, Tuesday, July 4th. And we'll talk to you all again, God willing, as my friend Gene would say, Wednesday morning at 6. So from all of us... On Sid and Friends in the morning, to all of you, happy birthday, America. We'll talk again on Wednesday. Peace. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. DLN's Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.